Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast Podcast. I'm Patrick Miller alongside Wayne Pua. We're going to bring you in for another uh, edition here of our uh, of our pod. But first off, a uh, big shout out to Wayne. Uh, he's been working a lot on shorts. Uh, if you're on YouTube and just want to check out our content and video, he got over a thousand views on one of our short videos. And, you know, he, he's cutting a lot of our, our tape up and, you know, making us look, you know, really nice across so me. So, you know, give us a like too. Um, while you're on YouTube, subscribe to our channel. Um, really helps to drive awareness of the show and, and moves us up in you know analytics and monetizing and everything else. Um, also on Instagram, we love the follows. Uh, we love comments on anything that we're posting and even suggestions on show. Like we try to incorporate what you're telling us. So uh, you know, keep it coming. Um, but Wayne, first off, I got I got to mention I did a bad thing over the weekend when it comes to our pod and and things that we're trying to do. Um, I was over at a friend's house in Virginia beach and uh, you know, I was, I was uh, free with the remote control in my hand and I kind of went to a couple apps and uh, you know, he left his YouTube uh, unattended with his name subscribed. And I, and I threw us a quick subscribe under his name. This guy's name is Jason. Um, If he's listening, I don't know if he is, but I'm sorry about that. If you start seeing our content, you know, go to the top of the feed, you know, that was my bad, but uh, you know, I'm trying to do what I can do out here. It's tough times. No, no, I get it. My my sister actually, my both my parents saw saw us on YouTube actually uh, over this 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 uh, past week. So, and then I think it was under my brother my brother in law's account uh, for YouTube. Uh, so she sub- gave me a subscribe uh, through his channel. So I think we're both hustling apparently <laughs> and manipulating people for, for some subscriptions. So uh, if you can, please, uh, yeah, like subscribe to our, to our videos. Uh, we'll try to produce some fun, whatever content that, you know, hopefully you'll like and everything, but yeah, would appreciate the support. So, so we have, so, so we can stop, uh, you know, asking or coercing our relatives and friends or in hijacking and hacking their accounts. So that would be much appreciated. Yeah. Please, please don't make us beg. I mean, we don't want to be those guys, uh, you know, messaging late at night or, you know, stalking you on, on Instagram and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, with that, um, you know, also looking at the weekend, um, I know I had a fantasy football draft. Um, it's always a big spectacle year in, year out for you know baseball and football that I'm a part of, the friends and family I've got around that. Um, I know you drafted as well, Wayne. I think it was late last week. But uh, I think what we're going to do is kick off the show with going over both of our drafts. Um, and I think to make it relevant for everybody listening, we're going to try to you know point out some of our favorite picks, uh, areas where we may have missed, or you know just guys that, you know, fell out of our hands, guys that we wish he, you know, could have added to our lists and, and our teams. And, um, you know, we'll just kick it off with Wayne. If you want to talk about how your draft win, what you thought, um, you know, interested to hear. Yeah, sure. I could definitely kick it off. Uh, so my first pick, I had the eighth overall pick out of 10 teams is PPR. Uh, I had Najee Harris. Uh, I picked Najee Harris as my running back uh, ahead of Debo Samuel and, Alvin Kamara, I, I think we're and Dalvin Cook as well. Uh, so I like Najee. I, I just think that with Pittsburgh, I think that kind of right balance, at least in my opinion, of uh, you know a team that need that is really going to be depending on the running back, but has weapons at wide receiver to keep teams honest. So that's where I'm like, I think Najee Harris is going to have you know a successful sophomore season, hopefully. Uh, but that's that's my bullish case for that. Uh, is Najee Harris. I, I think that as a running back, 
uh, he's going to outperform uh, some of the other top uh, top running backs in this class. So um, definitely high on him. Uh, my second pick uh, in the second round, I, I got Devontae Adams. And this was a tough one. You know, so Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon were both off the table there. You know, I'm definitely of like, it seemed like a lot of people wanted to get those the two running backs off off the bat <laughs> uh, for at least this season. But um, Devonte, I I like the whole pairing with Carr. I I I almost regret it though a little bit because I I was debating between him, Devonte Adams, and Stefan Diggs, who won in the next pick. Actually, uh, I think Stefan Diggs uh, has a weaker schedule, uh, you know, weaker division. Uh, so there's a lot of in that's in play for. Stefan Diggs outperformed Devante. Um, that being said, with Devante, you know, talked about, yeah, new team with his uh, college quarterback. You know, they still have a chemistry. Uh, that being said, too, uh, Hunter Renfro is certainly is going to get some targets there. So could steal some of uh, some targets, some valuable targets there. Whereas Buffalo, you know, they do have some wide receivers there. Uh, with you know Gabriel Davis, who I know uh, you like, Pat, <laughs> uh, you know as kind of a sleeper pick, and a lot of people see a lot of upside there. As you know, I know they have with Jameson Crowder and so, some several other wide receivers, but not to the extent of a Hunter Renfro, who's you know, definitely that slot wide receiver that's going to get a lot of um, targets, especially in the PPR league. So that's it was kind of my regret. Like looking back, I was like, was that really the best pick? Um, so, but. Yeah, those are my first two picks. Uh, Pat, would love to hear your thoughts. And did I make any mistakes? And then would love to hear your first two picks. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't think you made any mistakes, especially for the first two rounds. I know we like, uh, you know, try to make it seem like the first two draft, you know, draft picks are going to dictate the rest of your team or the rest of your draft or something like that. But I never think that, you know, truly ends up being the case. You can't go wrong with, you know, Devontae Adams in the second round. I mean, I think that's, about as safe as you can maybe get at the wide receiver position. And then I'm all in on Najee Harris. I mean, I think you and I were having conversations about him um, online, offline, whatever it was, but, you know, I was actually in the fourth pick of my draft and I got Najee and my choices were him, uh, Derek Henry or Dalvin cook and a half PPR. And honestly, you know, everyone's making a big deal about big Ben leaving and how this offense is going to be in disarray. But like, what about Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett is not good, you know, on the same shelf as a aging big Ben. I mean, big, big Ben was, everyone was calling for him to leave like in the last two or three seasons. And, you know, his production really fell off and he was able to still, you know, from a fantasy perspective, make those guys all relevant. So, um, you know, if their passing game is going to be their shortfall, like, what are they going to go to? They're going to go to Najee Harris, you know, carrying the ball or dump off passes. And, you know, last year he was second in catches and I think he was either first or second in targets. So as a running back, I should say. So it's um for me, I'm like, OK, he's in his sophomore year. You know, what did Jonathan Taylor do in his second year? What did CMC do in their second year? And uh, it's not like he didn't <laughs> break out in his first year either. I mean, he was a top five running back. So you know, why is everybody passing him up? That was the thing that kept coming to my mind. And I also was thinking about the downsides of a Dalvin Cook or a Derrick Henry. You know, Derrick Henry, I think, is in age 27. He played eight games last year. You know, he was banged up. Like, who's to say he won't get banged up a little bit more this year and take away some of his value? Mm -hmm. Dalvin Cook, year in, year out, is a guy that's always, you know, among the top three, four guys to be talked about. But again, he doesn't play full seasons. He plays 
you know, 11 to 13. And I think 14 games is his top, you know, amount of games in his entire career. So it's just like, you know, I don't even think both those guys ranked like in like a little bit near the top 20 of running backs last season. So it's kind of like, I think people get caught up on some name value of certain guys. And it's like, I just want meat and potatoes. I want points. I want, you know, I want stuff that's going to be solid, to be honest with you. So I went Najee first round and coming back to me, I had to wait a little bit because of the 12 team draft, but uh, I was hard pressed. I was stuck between taking another running back to just shore up that position or, you know, take a little bit of a risk positionally by going with Mark Andrews. And that's where I went. I went with the tight end. Um, I see him as being a top two guy, you know, cemented Travis Kelsey is a stud. He goes way earlier than that, generally speaking, which he did, but uh, he's going into age 32, um, you know, for his season and uh, Mark Andrews going to age 26 and uh, Mark Andrews had more targets, more catches, more points than Kelsey last year. And I know, again, it's the name value. It's the security blanket that everybody wants, but you know, I thought that was a good pick. Yeah, I know. Actually, I, I think that's a great pick. I think he'll outperform Kelsey. Um, I mean, both both tight ends, uh, you know, lost the the big uh, uh, home run threat at wide receiver uh, with you know Kansas City losing out with Hill, and then uh, Baltimore losing uh, Brown. Uh, that being said, you know, if you look at the focal point of everything that uh, that the uh, Ravens do, a lot of it has to do with the tight end and. I know they loaded up on like likely at tight end and, and some other ones, but you know, Andrews is the guy. Andrews is the wide receiver. And it's funny how a lot of teams are like, oh, they lost Brown. What are they going to do? You know, they, they do have Bateman and some, you know, Duvernay and several other wide receivers, but it's like, no, uh, Andrews is their best wide receiver. So I, I like that pick. I, I think he'll outperform. I, I think. In terms of their scheme between the, those two, um, I, I certainly think that Andrews uh, will fit is like is is always going to be the number one target. I think with Kansas City, they're going to be uh, divvying up the ball a little bit more, uh, so it's not just focused on the two wide receivers that they had like last year, um, which could be good for Patrick Mahomes, but not necessarily uh, for Kelsey or, or you know maybe some other wide receivers. I think they'll kind of do the whole spread the ball around like a, like old school Tom Brady uh, used to for sure. So, but yeah, I like those picks um, with my third and fourth round picks. Um, my third rounder, you know, I went, uh, I, I went the wide receiver route, you know, I, I, I was debating between uh, and I'm looking at the two running backs that were picked right after me at Saquon Barkley and Cam Akers. And, you know, I, I just was not sold on either of them. Um, I think possibly Cam Akers. I was like, maybe, maybe not. But I felt really good about getting uh, my my pick uh, in the third round, Michael Pittman Jr., actually. Um, you know, uh, he's he's getting Matt Ryan. Uh, he's going to be the number one wide receiver. He's going to get all the targets. He's you know, had 1,000 yards, 80-plus uh, catches, um, s- still fairly young and everything. So I see a lot of upside uh, for him potentially as, like, you know, somebody that, uh, you know, could outperform some of the number twos out there or, you know, maybe a number one. Who knows exactly? But I, I, I see some upside there uh, compared to, I think, what I, you know, what I was seeing with regards to, uh, say, Saquon or, or Cam Akers and how I was feeling about them. So um, so I went with in that uh, in that area going wide out. Um, my fourth rounder, uh, this one I was like, 
this is this is my first gamble i think of the draft um so my fourth rounder uh i i picked jk dobbins <laughs> you know it's it's interesting now because i think there's some uh news now coming out he's, he's still going to be hurt like come week one i, I think the ravens are looking to sign uh kenny uh, or kenyan jerk so there there is some possibilities of him not uh starting at least initially uh or or having his uh reps uh you know being conserved a little bit so uh but at, you know he, rookie year he had a six yards per carry so I definitely see more upside there. He was injured all of last year. Um, and, you know, with uh, Hollywood Brown not being there as much, you know, I, I think there's going to be more opportunities to run the ball a bit more. Um, I know that they do have a, a backfield with Gus Edwards, and now it looks like uh, Drake coming along there. So there definitely is going to be some aspect of the, the workload share. But, you know, with Dobbins uh, you know, he, at Ohio State, he was always like 20 plus carries a game. And, you know, I, I think he carried that more so in the, in the NFL uh, with the Ravens uh, come year, year three now for him. So uh, I see more upside there. I picked him over. Uh, and this was, again, kind of like a am I, w- am I a little bit dumb here? Maybe we'll see. But I picked him actually over Nick Chubb. So that's where I'm like, you know, Nick Chubb is a big name, has a good offensive line. Uh, not going to have Deshaun Watson. Maybe I'm talking myself out of this right now. Uh, not going to have Deshaun Watson for, you know, is it the first 11 games? So, you know, there's definitely going to be more of a workload there. Um, but I just felt really good about Dobbins uh, having a better year uh, in year three coming off an injury and that explosiveness that the Ravens have. So, um, yeah, those are my two picks, Pittman Jr. and Dobbins. I like Pittman. I think that, you know, you're getting the bona fide number one for the Colts. Uh, you know, he was with Wentz last year, moves over to Matt Ryan. I think that's the type of quarterback that knows how to feed wide receivers. I know he's in his later days, but in the same sense, you know, he's made Ridley, you know, relevant, you know, recently. And I think he did a great job with Kel- uh, Kyle Pitts last year. So I think there's still some life left in that arm. And I think that, you know, Pittman's put up, you know, put up those numbers last year in the same sense could improve on that. Um, at the fourth round, I, you know, had heard actually some good takes on Dobbins and, and, you know, analysts in the fantasy community that were, you know, like you're saying, like going back to his productive years and looking at his age and saying, you know, this is the kind of guy, especially in a Baltimore Ravens offense that if healthy, you know, can put up the numbers. I think that, you know, reading notes probably after even you drafted, there was some stuff in notes that were saying like, he's, you know, a little bit slower moving through this injury. Ravens want to be safe with a guy of his caliber. Um, so that's one warning sign. I'd be a little bit nervous. Uh, personally, you know, uh, I, I get nervous when I see injuries next to running backs to kick off the year, especially at high draft pick positions. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Nick Chubb too. I'm a, I'm a fan of Nick Chubb. I think that, you know, talent alone he's a he's an absolute monster and and i know you know cleveland you know they kind of split split time with him and hunt here and there and you know we're all kind of wondering like what is the browns offense going to look like you know minus watson and it's it's probably not going to be too pretty for them but he should see like the bulk of uh you know the carries touches whatever you want to call it um i might have gone chubb there but uh you know i don't want to sit here and be like you know because dobbins has the talent to be in the top four rounds it's just like you're kind of just waiting to see what's going to happen. But, 
you know, comparatively speaking, when you pass on Acres, I thought that was the right choice because not only is Acres dealing with this injury, but I can't really sit here and say like, elite, you know, Acres is a top four talent, you know, in, in terms of you know the rounds, and then he's probably going to split time with Daryl Henderson off the bat, and you know, who else? may come into the fold. I mean, Sony Michelle just got released. <laughs> Who's not saying the Rams will go right back after Sony Michelle and just, you know, create a three-headed monster there. So it's a little bit tough, man. It's a tough one to, to kind of navigate through. Yeah, for sure. That that definitely got it for me. So I was definitely conflicted there. Um, yeah, and there was also David Montgomery. So I was like, all right, I, I, I definitely wanted to go the, the running back route. But, um, you know, I, I felt at least it was definitely much more of a feeling, I think, for me with Dobbins and, you know, I am more bullish, I think, with the Ravens uh, outperforming this year, uh, w- uh, the performance that they had last year. But, um, you know, we'll see. It's definitely a, a more of a gamble, but I think it's a high upside pick, at least. So, um, all right. Yeah. So we'd love to hear, I think, your your third and fourth picks. Yeah. So in the third round, it came back to me after the wrap. I picked Andrews. And then, uh, you know, I was looking at a couple of different players, I think. You know, I was thinking I had my eyes on like Mike Evans on the turn, but then he got he got sniped and uh, came back down to me. And I was actually pretty happy with where I landed in terms of player because I got James Conner at the third uh, round pick. And I just I had James Conner the year prior. I uh, had 18 touchdowns, um, complete monster. I think I got him in like the round, you know, 10, 11, 12 zone of last year's draft and just completely, uh, you know, nailed that pick, I guess, um, just having a as part of my roster. Now you minus Chase Edmonds from the mix and it's kind of just his backfield, which makes me feel even better. Um, You know, considering the pool of running backs that were there, you know, I didn't have a Nick Chubb. I didn't have other guys that might go, you know, in the first two rounds. So he was the best of the remaining. Um, I do have my concerns with most running backs, you know, just based on his own injury history and, you know, um, you know, what could happen if he has any sort of touchdown regression negatively, like he, he, he's not, he's not a sure thing to, you know, take 18 to the house again. So, um, the, you know, I could see lesser stats there, but, uh, I felt like that was solid enough for my RB two. Um, and then coming back around, I grabbed my first wide receiver, um, kind of keeping in mind, I thought this draft might be a little bit deeper this year. Um, and Cortland Sutton fell in my lap. Um, I'm I'm going into this one again with a little bit of a mixed feeling because like Connor, I drafted him the year before. So I had him on my last year's roster and I think I got him with like the fifth round pick or something like that. And uh, he was a complete bust. And I think part of the reason why he was such a bust was his quarterback at the time with like Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater splitting time, kind of still that uncertainty, but, but he did put up, you know, marginally good stats. And he did, I think, lead the league in air yards for targets. So it was like they were trying to get him the ball deep, but they just didn't connect. So I think what a lot of analysts are excited about is you bring in a guy like Russell Wilson who can throw the deep ball really accurately. And you have one of the, you know, premier receivers for going deep and, you know, just having that as part of his game. So I could, I could see him fulfilling, you know, to a maybe watered down version of a DK Metcalf. Like I'll take that with my first receiver if he gives me, 80% 80% of that production. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, no, that's a, that's a great pick. I, I, I have, 
um you know uh I'll, I'll touch base on Sutton a little bit more he's actually in my he's my sixth round pick actually so <laughs> yeah I, uh, yeah i guess there's different uh different uh scoring whatever for for our leagues and and how they uh, adjusted everybody but yeah corn corn Sutton is actually my sixth round pick there but um yeah i like uh, i do like the Connor pick he's gonna get reps and i think you know when you're drafting a uh, high in the first like three four rounds you want to see you want to get players that's going to get reps you know so uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Connor's very capable, and he's he's definitely like that bowling ball type of running back that can, you know, during in, in if they get to the red zone and the goal line, he's going to get some touchdowns. So, you know, I, I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that pick. Um, so, and then yeah, uh, sudden, uh, like you were saying, he's going to have. I, I see a higher upside. Um, I don't want to say like uh, I do remember several years ago, and R.I.P. to him, uh, you know, Demarius Thomas. Uh, I remember when I think he had Tim Tebow passing with him, to, passing to him in one season. The next season, he has Peyton Manning passing to him, and just has an incredible year. I, I think that's what the transition was there. So, but you know, you can definitely see that when you are a talented type of wide receiver, um, you kind of just need somebody to that has that capability of you know uh, tossing a nice deep ball that can get you uh, those you know twenty you know twenty thirty yard. Uh, scores or you know just get you some awesome yardage and Cronson has always been that kind of wide receiver yeah and like, like to your point he just never had that run, that quarterback necessarily that uh, could throw to him and 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 put it, in, it and put the ball into his position that that he can get it so that's always where I see Russell Wilson uh, with Cronson I think that they play each other's strengths so definitely excited about seeing uh, that matchup there um, so I know that took my sixth round pick there. Uh, but my fifth round pick, I can go with that one. Uh, I did go the the quarterback route, and there was it was a debate between like my favorite player and who I think is going to outperform my favorite player. Uh, my favorite player is Lamar Jackson. Uh, and I saw another player out there, Justin Herbert, that I picked to win MVP. And I know has the wide receiving uh, assets out there. Um, and I think it's just going to have a hell of a season. So I did go with my brain over my heart there with getting Justin Herbert. You know, Lamar definitely has, you know, some question marks, doesn't have the Hollywood Brown. Uh, you know, a lot of his offense uh, is just coming back from last season. Yeah, they looked great last season but yeah when you subtract a wide receiver like hollywood brown uh even though they're they are they still have some wide receiver talent and bateman duvernay etc um it's hard to beat that continuity that herbert has with williams with keenan allen uh and eckler one of the best you know backfield catching running backs out there so you know i want the justin herbert route and he can still run too so he's a pretty athletic quarterback so i went his route uh that route over lamar uh patrick mahomes just got taken before me too so um you know for me it was like lamar justin i wanted to get that uh quarterback there uh and and that was kind of the position value i think that i saw too so um yeah one justin herbert uh my pick for mvp so yeah Yeah, I mean, you you got him at a good value, I think, relatively speaking. I mean, in my draft, Josh Allen, I think, went in the third round. So, like, if you can get Josh Allen in the fifth round, you know, a.k.a. Justin Herbert, you know, why not? And I like your point about his rushing yards because I think that's a little bit overlooked with a guy who, you know, throws as many touchdowns as he does. It's it's like you don't really uh, know what else he contributes on the field. And for fantasy purposes, 
mean, 300 yards rushing is is notable. So um, I also like his just his TD to interception ratio. He doesn't throw like a ton of picks for how many you know touchdown passes he throws. And if you're looking at Lamar on the other end, you'll get the rushing yards, but then you have to deal with this uh, you know almost split TD to interception ratio. So um, not as accurate of a passer, and uh, you know weapons maybe take a hit this year for Lamar, um, but. We'll see. Um, you know how I feel about your round six pick. So I think that's money in the bank, especially where you got him. I think that's actually a pretty, uh, that's pretty good value. I mean, you're almost like your ROI on that pick is going to be yeah. like, like money in the bank. Yeah, no, I'm very happy about the Corwin Sutton pick. So I'm, I'm very looking forward, looking forward to seeing Russell Wilson throw a bomb soon, hopefully. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, who's, who, who's on your list now or who's up next? Yeah. So, so round five, uh, so I took Cortland Sutton and, uh, you know, I was kind of targeting receiver. I was, you know, looking receiver, looking if there's any value at running back, uh, at that spot. Um, I just really felt good about the wide receiver pool. Again, I, I, I felt like, you know, this was the point where, um, I took Gabe Davis, um, at the fifth round, it was, I think pick 52. Um, you know, I think analyst consensus on him is around, you know, pick 60, I just knew that if I didn't pick the guy that I thought was going to break out and be an absolute stud this year, if I didn't reach just a little bit, I wasn't going to get him. And I didn't want that to happen. I mean, I watched the playoff game from last year and I actually had Gabe Davis on my roster for like the last uh, maybe six, five or six games. Like once he actually, you know, put up double digit points, I think that's when I was like, okay, I'll take a flyer on this guy. And uh, so knew the name going to the playoffs and, you know, this guy's 6'2", uh, 220, he's explosive, he's, you know, uh, good at, you know, good at getting the ball in the end zone. I think Josh really built a report with him, you know, in the playoffs that they unfortunately lost to KC, but, uh, you know, coming into this year, you know, they, they got rid of Emmanuel Sanders, they basically named Gabe Davis as, you know, the 1B to Stephon, Stephon Diggs 1A, and uh, I just want to see if they'll live up to it, because I couldn't think of a better situation for him to be in. Um, he's almost in like the the Mike Williams situation, you know, with the chargers, he's just, you know, not to say he's a similar player, but in the same sense, I mean, if you've got, you know, Keenan Allen and, you know, Mike Williams getting passes from Herbert and you look over at the Villas, they got, you know, Diggs and, uh, and Diggs and Davis, Davis up. I just think that's a great pairing for him. And um, I, w- I wanted to see this out. So I grabbed him in round five. Just to shore him up in case something goes awry or if he just is an average Part of that offense or player, I grabbed Marquise Brown, who slots into my flex position. Um, he had about 90 receptions last year with the Ravens, which is pretty shocking. I didn't think he he had that many, but uh just think he's the kind of guy who, you know, you throw him in the slot, he's going to grab a bunch of balls. He, you know, can make big plays. I've had him a couple years, you know, prior to, to you know, now drafting him, and he was kind of a bust for me. He was real lackluster. I think I grabbed him like the fourth or fifth round, and uh I'm hoping to change uh, my luck with him. I think going to Arizona and, you know, being with Kyler right off the bat, um, I think him and Zach Ertz will, you know, eat up a ton of targets while, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is out for the first six games. Um, you know, Connor will get his work too, but I I just felt good about that offense and felt good about, you know, the safety of grabbing Marquise Brown the sixth round. Yeah, I love that Marquise Brown pick. Uh, I think he'll do great. And yeah, I, I like how you brought up. Yeah, Hopkins isn't going to be there for you know several games, so he's going to develop some continuity, uh, develop that relationship more so in game with him. So I, I certainly see a lot of upside with Hopkins. 
Uh, granted, like, yeah, we know he's a great player and all, so uh, and he's very explosive. He can get those uh, can get those bombs, you know. And uh, I, I definitely with the uh, um, you know with like, was it Kingsbury's the the the, the offensive mind behind everything. You know, I certainly see a lot of uh, of upside there. And you know, as long as Kyle Kyle Murray is reading, uh, watching those tapes and everything, I, I think there's yeah, I think it's a great pick. Um, and then when, when Hopkins goes there, you know, maybe you could flip him. You know, who knows exactly? So, um, or yeah, or just keep him and see see how uh, their, their relationship uh, continues. So, definitely like that pick. Um, and then yeah, the Gabe the the Gabe Davis uh, pick as well. Um, there's I think you had two like pretty upside, uh, low downside picks. You know, with Gabe Davis, I think it's like, uh, you know, yeah, they have was a Crowder, and I know they drafted. Um, uh, Khalil Shakur, uh, who I I'm I'm pretty happy on, but that might that might take a while to develop that relationship. You know that that might usually oftentimes wide receivers that are rookies. You know when they do have some veteran wide receivers out there, uh, it, it'll take them like until like the end of the year after they get you know their footings in the door. So um, I, I I see Davis uh, contributing a lot. I think he he killed it in the playoffs. Uh, with Josh Allen, and I think they'll continue on that. I know you had Josh Allen as your MVP. Um, you know he's definitely uh, one of the top quarterbacks out there. So you know if Gabe Davis is going to get like you know 70, 80 targets or or more, like he's going to get some touchdowns there and, and some yardage. So I think yeah, both both those picks are solid overall. So and it's kind of funny too because I've heard some analysts like downplay. Okay, it was one game. He had four touchdowns and two hundred plus. It's just like. Yeah, when does that happen? Like, when, when does that like <laughs> mistakenly happen for receivers that fall off the map? Like, I don't ever hear like any sort of like, examples of that happening. And I'm just like, you know, I know he's early on in in, in our ability to uh, to trust him and to feel like that. You know, he's cemented, he's legitimate. But I mean, give me another example of a guy who's done that in a huge playoff game, and and like how that would affect you know the quarterback's trust moving into the next season. Like, if this guy can do that in the playoffs, like. Maybe we were just overlooking him the entire time, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean that's a great mistake if you're if, if <laughs> you know if you just mistakenly have a blowout game like that. <laughs> like that's that's an awesome if you can just do that just like on the fly. And yeah, I, you know I I do think there's gonna be some continuity there. Um, I, I think they're gonna build off of that. Uh, and there's also just a great person to learn from Stefan Diggs. Like you know he was a fifth round pick and then made made you know one of the best wide receivers in the game right now. So. Uh, definitely a lot of upside there. Um, yeah, moving on. I know I'm looking at my uh, it's like seventh and eighth round picks here. Um, so seventh round pick, I went tight end route. Uh, Dalton Schultz went off uh, went off the board. Uh, so I saw the next uh, uh, tight end that I was looking at was uh, T.J. Hawkinson, actually uh, out of D- uh, Detroit. Um, you know, not too many uh, wide receiving options in Detroit. I know they drafted as uh, a J- Jameson Williams coming off an injury uh, in college, but you know, Hawkinson. I think he has one of the best uh, strength of schedule ratings for tight ends, actually. So, I, for me, you know, with tight ends and how that goes, oftentimes is the strength of schedule. It's sometimes hard to navigate uh, who's going to cover the tight end. Is it going to be the uh, linebacker or is it going to be the, the the safety? Um, Hawkinson is definitely, you know, one of their best overall, uh, uh, athletic uh, position players out that they have. So, 
You know, I know he's going to get some targets. I think there's some questions on if he's capped out already. Like, you know, they are only bringing more talent to uh, the Lions, but, you know, I, I think there's just more room to grow for the Lions in general. So I'm happy taking him in the seventh round there. Um, and then eighth round pick. Uh, I went running back again here. I uh, wanted to shore up or kind of get a, a backup, if you will, for uh, J.K. Dobbins, kind of hedging my bets there. Um, I went the uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, route here. Um, you know, he's it's, it's pretty short that he's going to be RB1. Uh, I know that there's some other competition that he does have, uh, but, you know, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, like I said, they they didn't have or they got rid of Hill, so he's going to be much more of a fixture, especially in the red zone. I believe. Uh, I think he's going to get. You know, I think he's had four touchdowns uh, each of the first two seasons. He's now coming to his third season. Usually, usually for running backs, third, fourth, like fifth year, like age twenty four, twenty five. That's like once they you know start to pick up on everything. They they their body is still intact and but their mind, they understand the game more. They understand their system more. So I'm seeing some upside with uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire here. Um, you know, I picked him ahead of uh, like Cordell Patterson <laughs> in terms of uh, uh, running backs, uh, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, and even Dallas Goddard if, if I were to have went the tight end route there. Um, so, But overall, I think I felt pretty good with that. Uh, pick uh, compared to some of the rest of the players afterwards. So, um, Pat, would love to hear uh, your thoughts on on those picks. Yeah, um, you know, with Hawkinson, I think it'll be interesting to see how you know Jamison Williams gets incorporated in that offense, um, and then DJ Chark. I know they signed as well for this season, and Amon Ra St. Brown was a breakout last year. I know that DeAndre Swift is a guy who gets a lot of touches, but all that being said, their line has improved. If Goff can just stay the ship, maybe that's an improved offense. Maybe, maybe this is a sleeper team in the NFL uh, term of things where, you know, we always kind of downplay what the Lions are, who they are. I don't know much about their defense. I don't think they got high grades, so that's going to be the thing that maybe hampers them. But it seems like their offense is moving in the right direction and, you know, Hawkinson's rookie year, I think he came out, showed out for a tight end. I think he was, you know, within the top eight or so. Um, so with where you're grabbing him, you know, you're obviously not going to hit on the top three um, or even the top five at that point. So you're kind of looking at the best of the rest. I think that Dalton Schultz, um, you know, might have a productive season. I, I like, you know, him with CD Lamb. I think that's going to be kind of the new one-two punch there uh, outside of the running game. But uh you know, I think Hawkinson can get his points. I think he, you know, can establish himself as, you know, maybe your top seven, top eight tight end. I think that that's not a pick that's going to break your team. Um, and I think in the seventh round, you know, with what available talent is out there at the tight end position, you know, you did well to shore that up. Um, I, I like CEH as, as a guy you get in the eighth round. I think that's a good value for him because, you know, we're looking at Isaiah Pacheco as kind of his backup, and I've, I've heard rumblings that Ronald Jones is going to be cut from the team. So, you know, that leaves CEH and Pacheco, and I know Pacheco's got, like, a lot of athleticism. He's young. He's a rookie. He's got some bursts. Like, that's all great, but in the same sense, I mean, people were hyping up, you know, Edwards Hilaire in his first year. Um, you know, I think he was going first two rounds of drafts and stuff, but uh, 
you know, it doesn't always pan out for rookies to just come in and bang it up. And like you said, maybe it's taken him a couple of years to, you know, get his feet wet. Maybe this is a year where you can be a productive back. And uh, as your third back, I mean, in the Kansas City Chiefs offense as the RB1, um, that's good insurance to have. I mean, you know, even if even if uh, you get him for, you know, maybe he deals with some injuries or whatever else, like you're still going to get production probably when you need it. If you got bye weeks or just an injury to one of your other starters, like he's a guy you can plug and play and have confidence with as your third back. I think that's a good pick. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it's funny is that too, you know, with Pacheco and everything, great athleticism. And I think that's a good pick for uh, the Chiefs overall. But yeah, uh, him and uh, uh, Edwards Hilaire are the same age, actually. So like only mm. by separated by a month. So, you know, okay. uh, not as much wear and tear, I, I guess, or, you know, if you want to look at the NFL route. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that there's there's going to be enough room for both of them to eat. So that sounds good. Um I guess in my seventh and eighth round, uh, so I, I picked three receivers in a row, Sutton, Gabe Davis, uh, Marquise Brown. I went an extra layer. I want an extra layer of protection because I don't want my wide receiver position to be bad. Again, I thought this was like kind of the money spot to grab a receiver. So I grabbed Juju Smith-Schuster um, as my fourth wide receiver, maybe my second or third flex. I just felt like you know, him coming over from Pittsburgh, you know, uh, coming off an injury season. So he didn't have much stats to talk about as of last year. Um, but, you know, he was also in the, you know, final years of Big Ben. And, you know, again, I think people overlook, you know, he wasn't an elite passer at that point in his career. And, you know, Deontay Johnson was getting a lot of those targets. I mean, even Claypool was, you know, biting into some of his target share and they were feeding Najee all year. So as a rookie, so I think that, you know, Juju gets a chance at 25 years old to start anew um, in his first, you know, two seasons with the Steelers. He was, you know, a fantasy beast. I think he was a top 15 wide receiver. I'm not banking on that, but I just think pairing him with Mahomes after, you know, losing a lot of his receiving core of the guys they brought over, you know, a Valdez Scantling. Um, you know, I know they got Sky Moore in the draft that a lot of people are excited about. I am too. Um you know, if I'm Patrick Mahomes, after I do my, you know, Kelsey checks, I'm going to want another guy who can stretch the field a little bit. Um, you know, it, it just seems like, you know, for my fourth receiver, I'm, I'm very comfortable having him there. And if he's a complete bust or gets injured, so be it. Um, in the eighth round, uh, I needed I needed to grab a running back at this point. I I'd passed over a lot of backs uh, with a lot of other picks in the seventh, you know, six through eight rounds, I'd say that you know, we're intriguing enough. You know, I passed on a, a penny, you know, an Antonio Gibson, uh, Miles Sanders, Tony Pollard, Kareem Hunt, Ramondre Stevenson. So when it got to me there, I was like, okay, what else is left here? And is there anything that's like worth grabbing in this spot? And I thought this would be a good time to grab Damian Pierce from the Houston Texans. Um, he's been getting a lot of helium in drafts lately. I mean, I've heard some people will go in, into round five grabbing this guy because, of what they think Lovey Smith's going to do with him. Um, there was news today. They actually released Marlon Mack, who um, was his probably main competition for getting the bulk of carries. Um, so Damian Pierce is kind of in like the three down role. I mean, they are saying Rex Burkhead might still be a factor in the passing game. Maybe that takes away a little bit of his work, but again, if you're going to give me a back who I can count on as an RB one and, you know, Houston Texans are playing from behind and they just need, you know, guy to get out there and just get some touches and give him some looks. I mean, he's probably going to get a lot of opportunities. So 
um, fresh legs. I was happy to get them. And now with a lot of the things that have happened in Houston and just what people are saying across the fantasy landscape, I'm like, okay, I feel a ton better about taking that guy where I did. Yeah, I think those are two great picks, actually. Uh, again, not to toot your horn and everything, but, you know, with Juju Schuster, I like Juju because, you know, Tyree Kill, he had 159 targets last season. Uh, who's going to get those targets, right? I think that's the big question. So, you know, uh, McCall Hardman can only get so many. Uh, Kelsey can only get many more additional uh, targets or, or uh, you know, Edwards Hilaire you know, out of the backfield. So, He's going to get targets, and uh, yeah, Juju Smith-Schuster, he's, he's always been talented, uh, and it's just been kind of a mix of, like, you know, how does he fit this certain system, and I think, you know, Matt Nagy, uh, he's going to hopefully <laughs> hopefully know how to use him, uh, you know, not like how he didn't know how to use uh, 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 Robinson, but, you know, I, I think there definitely is some upside there, I think, with Juju, um, and then... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then Damian Pierce, that is a hell of a pick. Uh, I think possibly he could be like a top 10, top 15 running back, you know, uh, just with the, like, you know, the Texans, what is their offensive identity? Like, you know, is it Davis Mills? He's just going to pass 500 times? Like, no, I they're, they're definitely going to be running the ball. And, you know, you also got to you also got to look at the history of like running backs and running back culture, I think, you know, with, the Texans, they've had you know a bunch of nicely producing running backs in fantasy football uh, in previous years. So I certainly see that there's some upside there. And like I mentioned before, competition is really like uh, you know seventy percent sometimes of like the top four uh, top four rounds. Uh, and when you're drafting players, like if there's no competition for uh, a wide receiver or or a running back to kind of contest with, then they're going to get reps and. You know they're they're gonna get uh, more yardage, more touches, more touchdowns, etc. So, you know, I, I I love that pick. I'm surprised a lot of teams aren't or a lot of people aren't picking him sooner. Uh, well, maybe not, maybe not like you know, uh, third round or whatever you were talking about. But I, I definitely see that there's a lot of upside, especially where you got him. So yeah, I think that's a solid pick. So cool. Um, where are we at now? Well, for me. You know, I'm at round nine and round 10 here. Um, could definitely talk about these picks. Uh, I wanted to go running back again, you know, short up. Uh, of course, now in this, this late late stage of the game, there aren't too many running backs that, are like, like, you know, aren't going to get those reps per se. But uh, Tony P- Pollard came up, though. And, you know, uh, it, it just seems like you know, Ezekiel Ellis either going to be hurt or, or, you know, he's going to be digressing a little bit. He's only getting older. So, I certainly see Tony Pollard, uh, you know, emerging a little bit more. So, and, get, and getting some reps there. Um, Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, the, sometimes their offense goes ups and downs, but uh, if they, if they're going to score, you know, I think Tony Pollard can definitely be involved there. Um, so, you know, like like Tim there, and with the tenth round pick, I I kind of well, kind of a gamble, but like you mentioned, or like we were talking about before, it's about the reps and getting those targets. So, it is a PPR league. Um, uh, I went the route. I, I think I saw somewhere it might have been PFF or one of the fantasy football sites saying that the Jacksonville Jaguars had the easiest schedule for uh, wide receivers. So I went that route and got Christian Kirk actually. So I'm not talking about his contract and like how absurd it is, but you know he's got Trevor Lawrence uh, and 
Doug Peterson uh, behind him basically to throw and, and figure out passing routes towards him. So I'm hoping to see, uh, I guess, uh, you know, some a little bit more of an upswing compared to last season uh, for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, and then doing so also seeing Christian Kirk getting some, getting some receptions there. So yeah, Tony Pollard out of Dallas uh, in the ninth round and then Christian Kirk, uh, Jacksonville 10th round there. Yeah. I'm a big fan of both of those picks. I think with Pollard, uh, he kind of showed you that he's not too far behind Ezekiel Elliott for, you know, uh, production or, you know, ultimately usurping him as the lead back in that offense. I think, you know, Elliott's tied to that big contract, but in his last three years, his, his carries have, you know, gone down in volume uh, over that time. He's also getting older and, you know, Pollard's going to, you know, catch a lot of balls out of the backfield. I think he had around 40 last year. I mean, I could see him getting 50 balls plus, um, you know, being a second part of that, you know, that, that, you know, running back dynamic. And, you know, if anything happens to Zeke, which, you know, he hasn't been bulletproof, you've got a bona fide, you know, top 10, top 12 back for the weeks that Pollard is all by himself. So, you know, if that is the case, you, you don't have to worry about CEH or even uh, Dobbins. I mean, I think Pollard's a guy you could, you know, start there, start in a flex position off the bat for the season. I mean, I think he's just a good option to, you know, kind of plug and play. So that was a good pick. Um, and then Kirk, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I agree. I didn't love his contract. <laughs> I thought that was ridiculous when I first saw it pop up on the bottom line of ESPN. I was like, yeah, right. Um, so I think Arizona was smart for letting him go in that sense. But you're also right that, you know, pairing him up with a second year of Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, being a, an established pro. I mean, I, I actually like Kirk's, you know, just mindset and the way, like I've watched him, um, you know, in games on Sundays and such. I just like that he seems like such a consistent guy for, you know, every team, you know, for the Cardinals and he was a part of that team, but also just, you could see that him and Murray had some real trust that they established with each other. And I almost feel like he's able to garner more trust than he, you know, I guess what I'd say is like, I think he's able to garner trust that kind of um, supersedes his actual talent. Like, I think he's the kind of guy like a Randall Cobb or, you know, I'm trying to think of other good comps for him, but like, I don't think he's like a, you know, uh, in an NFL draft, like a guy you would draft in the top three rounds. But I think he's like that sixth, seventh round pick who's just real gritty. And he's just going to get in there and like do his work and get his, get his like, you know, workload set. I feel like he'd be perfect with the New England Patriots even. Like he's, he kind of reminds me of like an Edelman or Welker. He has prime to break out. But um, anyways, love the fit there. A PPR league, especially because, you know, you're just going to get a lot of catches out of that guy and they're going to target him a lot. Um, Chark is gone, so he doesn't have to worry about him. And, you know, I think a lot of, I know they just traded LaVisca Chenault today. So there, there's got to be some faith there and they're going to need somebody who they can, you know, trust in the air and i think i think kirk's their guy yeah no for sure yeah and christian kirk got uh last season when he was with uh, the cardinals uh 103 targets 77 receptions uh so that accounts for 70 almost 75 percent uh catch percentage which is pretty awesome so definitely had a stellar career hopefully he doesn't slide too much there at least for my sake so yeah <laughs> um yeah, I guess in my rounds nine and ten, uh, I'm gonna take a swerve. I, I did. I'm in an IDP league, and uh, I'm gonna save everybody the time because I think for 99 percent of the fantasy players out there, um, you're probably not grabbing anybody in an IDP league. But I will make a plug that you know I've been doing IDP solely for 20 uh, or so years, and I absolutely love it. I think that um, 
doing it has allowed me to get to know, uh, you know, linebackers, uh, safeties, cornerbacks around the league, defensive ends, and kind of knowing what their output is. And we've tried to quantify that. So it's interesting to like see the guys that come on, come up year in, year out that, you know, a lot of you don't know a foyer, a Luacon, uh, you know, that went from the Falcons to the Jaguars this year, or a, you know, uh, the fact that Casey Hayward was the most productive DL, you know, D lineman last year. Like, I just think that kind of stuff is interesting from a statistical perspective, but uh, I'm going to jump ahead to rounds 11 and 12 for my draft to go back to offense. And round 11 is when I grabbed Trey Lance and round 12. And that was my only quarterback and round 12. Uh, I saw, I saw Tyler Lockett just hanging out there in the 12th round. And I was like, I'm just going to grab this guy because, you know, I know what he brings with a real quarterback, but I, you know, I think we're all kind of wondering like what's Seattle going to look like this year, but Lockett is like Christian Kirk to me. I mean, he's going to be there. He's dependable. I think he works hard. I think he, his, his output is better than his actual talent in some cases, but he, he, he's a grinder too. Cause he'll go up for balls. He'll get, you know, his, his, his cap knocked off and he'll just get right back up. And I think he's like five, seven, five, eight, five, nine or something like that. But He's just real shifty, crafty, and I've always liked watching him with the Seahawks. And this is my third straight year having him, so I'm just interested to see what he can actually give me. Maybe, maybe a flex option. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so yeah, good call out on like yeah, defensive players. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have lives too, and everything. I think the very first time like, I like I participated in like fantasy football, I'm like, well, what about like Brian Urlacher, or what about like Peanut Tillman and all that, and um, you know coming from Chicago and being Bears fans, you know, we don't have quarterbacks. We have a linebacker, a, a cornerback, a safety and all that. So um, shout out to all the defensive players there. So that's, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with the tower walking comparison to like a Christian Kirk, uh, you know, uh, uh, they both, again, the previous seasons, they both had over a hundred targets, 70 receptions. So kind of having that, 70% catch percentage. Uh, that's definitely been consistent with Lockett. Um, just this one previous season with Christian Kirk. So, you know, hopefully, yeah, uh, again, for PPR league, I think that's, that's, that's a solid pick um, or, or just a general good pick. Uh, you know, Lockett's had a thousand yards uh, previous three seasons, uh, you know, albeit yes, with uh, Russell Wilson, but, you know, if he can get a, you know, a 80% of that, 90% of that, that's still a pretty solid season overall, uh, kind of getting, getting him where you're, you are getting him. So I definitely think, uh, you know, those picks are solid there. Um, looking at my, I think I'm at 11th rounder and my 12th rounder. So uh, wanted to get a backup uh, quarterback here. And I was kind of debating, you know, between either uh, Derek Carr uh, or another uh, quarterback that I'm looking at, right, or the quarterback that I picked here. Uh, but I picked uh, the quarterback with a little bit more upside, I think, at least for my sake, in Trevor Lawrence, Christian Kirk's uh, uh, quarterback here. You know, kind of like I mentioned with regards to the upside, um, Jacksonville has an easier schedule uh, this year compared to last year. Uh, like I mentioned, they had Doug Peterson, uh, who's, you know, made, a, 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 was able to coordinate an offense where Nick Foles was a Super Bowl. Uh, winning quarterback there, you know, big Dick Nick. Uh, so you know, I think he can do tremendous wonders with uh, the talent that is Trevor Lawrence. Like people forget that. Yeah. I, you know, that he was the number one overall pick uh, is kind of like a gazelle and how he runs. So I, I definitely see some upside for Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, at least statistically. Um, 
definitely much more of a, a backup quarterback. We'll see if he has a you know uh, a, a good matchup here and there. Uh, but I, I see a lot of uh, upside, I think, for Trevor Lawrence compared to you know with uh, uh, Derek Carr, who we, we kind of know what we're going to get there. Um, and then with my twelfth round pick um, is Cole Komet. So you know I was talking about uh, T.J. Hawkinson and kind of how you know they've the Detroit Lions have uh, gotten more wide receivers out there, more passing talent out there to kind of take some of the reps. And that's where see there might be a little bit of a, I guess, downside or a ceiling already for him. Uh, Cole Komet's kind of the opposite in a way. Uh, you know, the Bears, like we've talked about it before, you know, they haven't really done too much in the offseason in terms of like getting Justin Fields more help exactly. Uh, sure, they had, you know, Nikhil Harry um, and, you know, drafted Vilas Jones, like things of that nature. Uh, but in terms of like someone that's that's getting a lot of receptions or a lot of targets, uh, you know, Cole Komet uh, has been targeted a bunch this preseason, so it's uh, looking pretty good for uh, for the Bears to be utilizing him more in the offense, especially in the end zone. You know, last year I think he had like ninety, I think it was like ninety uh, targets, sixty some odd receptions, uh, but like zero touchdowns, I believe. So you know, they really just passed it over to uh, to Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham's not here anymore. Uh, Cole Komet's a big guy, so uh, this preseason he actually got a TD reception. So you know, I see a lot of more opportunities for Cole Komet uh, and a lot more potential and upside, I think, for Cole Komet uh, for the Bears this year. So looking forward to seeing, you know, in the later rounds. Yeah, for me, I went a little bit more on the gambling side of like players with a higher upside there, and I think Cole Komet's a perfect uh, complement to my pick of Hawkinson. So looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, I think those are both solid picks uh, in the later rounds. I think Trevor Lawrence will show out much more now that he doesn't have Urban Meyer, you know, as a distraction coaching him. I think that really set everybody back a year, which is just tragic for football. But there's too much talent with Trevor Lawrence not to like. And, uh, you know, they they did spend a boatload on bringing over pieces and parts to just help that team all over the place. And, uh, you know, hopefully it just sets them up at the right you know, yard marker when he starts with the ball, uh, you know, it's on the defensive end. And then, you know, when he gets into the offense, now he's got Travis Etienne back and he's, you know, got a new receiving core for the most part. So it's kind of like, hopefully that's a good, uh, you know, kind of reset for him at quarterback and let his talents just kind of show out. So I think you'll be fine there. And then commit, I'd honestly say he might be a better tight end than, than Hawkinson this year when it's all said and done. And I say that because of what you just mentioned, I mean, he had the targets there last year. I mean, zero touchdowns. I mean, there's going to be regression there. Uh, you know, I could see him getting five or six um, in this offense. I mean, they're going to be down, I think, a lot this year, especially second half. And they're going to have to play a faster style. They're going to have to, you know, get the ball going, pass it around. And uh, I think that's, you know, one guy that Fields has rapport with already outside of Mooney. And, you know, we brought in all these spare parts and we got young guys coming into the mix too on the offensive side. It's just like, yeah, I would trust Cole over, uh, you know, Nikhil Harry, Byron Pringle, uh, you know, some of these other <laughs> spare parts <laughs> that we got. I mean, it's like, it's pretty, it's going to be pretty sad here, I think, in Chicago. But I think Cole Komet might be a bright spot in fantasy, uh, just from a guy you can trust to give you double digit points week in, week out. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I think I might actually start Cole Komet more probably this season than Hawkinson, but we'll see. Uh, very much optimistic about that. So, um, yeah, but do you have any other uh, players that you drafted or anything else like that? Like, I know we're kind of the later rounds here, so uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, part. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna name all the. I had three more offensive players uh, outside of my 
defense and kicker and all the other stuff um, that I'll just raise. But uh, at this part of the draft, so I grabbed Trey Lance and I was between Trey Lance and Stafford and I was just sitting there because I knew most of the other players in my league grabbed their quarterback. But uh, what ended up starting to develop was everybody started to go after backups. And uh, it's it, the thing, it just started to get really tight. And uh, so I grabbed Lance and I think he'll be as productive as a Jalen Hurts. Um, Jalen Hurts might have an extra year ahead of Lance in that regard, but I think the Jalen Hurts hype, and I like the Eagles, like believe me, I do, but uh, I don't think they're that far away from each other in terms of what they can do output-wise. So I felt pretty good with Lance, but I wanted to cushion him with my with my guy at quarterback, and I waited one pick too late. I got greedy, and I took Kenny Walker. And uh, I know he's injured for the Seahawks, but I grabbed him knowing that, you know, him and Penny are going to push each other. But um, in the same sense, I mean, people were talking, you know, the world about his talents and, you know, I think the Seahawks are going to be pretty bad. So they're, they're going to have some space there to showcase him. And I'm looking for league winners at that point. You know, I don't know if Rashad Penny's that kind of guy, but if Kenny Walker gets the opportunity, like he's a guy who could break out and be big, but we'll see. But the second I picked him, the guy behind me took my my sleeper in Kirk Cousins. And I know we're probably like, it's Kirk Cousins, right? Like don't get don't get so worked up about it or whatever. But like I I see this Minnesota offense being uh you know completely reborn with uh Kevin O'Connell coming over from the Rams. Um, you know, they've got Jay Jets, they've got Thielen, they've got KJ Osborne, um, you know, he's got Dalvin Cook behind him with Madison if anything happens, like Irv Smith Jr.'s looked okay, uh, you know, in his first few years. But it's like, I just kind of saw this as being more of like high, high-paced, you know, fast-paced offense. I liked what Cousins put up last year in terms of total points and on a week-to-week basis. So I had Cousins at some at some points, and he really bailed me out. I mean, he was my only quarterback at some points last year, and I was like, this guy is great. So, yeah, my cousin took him, and I just was – pretty disappointed so at that point i just punted completely on a quarterback for the rest of the draft because there wasn't anything that i was excited about um I, i'm not going to grab daniel jones so <laughs> the last two picks and i'll wrap it up but uh james robinson i got in the 15th round and then um i took tyler uh algier uh in the round in round 17 i hope i didn't butcher his name but uh you know james robinson is complete opposite of um algier Algier. uh um just for the sake that Robinson's actually put up numbers. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, when he's healthy, I know they can lean on to be, you know, just a solid back. And, you know, he's got injury concerns. I think he's coming off a, a major injury, um, but so is Etienne. And I just don't know if it's going to be one of those situations where Etienne is, you know, slowly brought into the offense. He's more or less their third down pass catcher. Cause that's kind of what his bread and butter is receiving. So who do you need to run between the tackles to get the big, you know, goal line score. I feel like James Robinson might be that guy. And I think, I think he could have a good year and getting where I did, he was basically free. Um, Algiers is a little bit different because he's brand new. He's a rookie, but he's entering an offense that is also going to be terrible. And they've got Corderell Patterson, who we all were kind of like batting our eyebrows about last year, but Matt Patterson had a good year at running back, especially for fantasy, put up points, but he is entering, I think his age 30 season. And People are more or less looking for more of a traditional back to kind of take that over. So if there is a a little uh, you know pocket of, of of wiggle room for him to get more carries and to kind of run with the job, I think you know if I can get an, uh, a starting running back out of you know 
Algier at that point, that'd be great. Otherwise, I'll just go to the well. Yeah, I, I, I like those picks of uh, of Walker, Robinson, and Algier. You know, uh, it's kind of like you know the young, the younger right, the better. Like, it's like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriends. Like once they hit one, <laughs> once they hit, once they hit twenty five, you dump them. I, I feel like so. <laughs> It's it's kind of like that with running backs. I feel like these days. So, uh, I mean, yeah, Robinson's twenty four. Just made the cut. Just had a birthday. So good for him. Uh, and I think the rest are rookies, right? So they're probably under that. But yeah, I think the, those are solid overall. Dude, uh, and, and and James Robinson's from Illinois State. I mean, he's a Redbird. I mean, yeah, you gotta appreciate a guy's hustle like that. I mean, there aren't many <laughs> Redbirds in the NFL. Just saying. yeah, yeah, undrafted. So yeah, really, yeah. Him and him and Etienne are definitely, I think, a good combination. I think they complement each other. So, and like I said, yeah, the Jaguars, uh, the strength of schedule is like one of the weakest ones. So I think there's a lot of upside there. Um, yeah, I guess just you know finishing off mine here. Uh, I did draft Dotson third round. Uh, wanted to get you know kind of somebody again with upside uh, by then. Uh, had to get my kicker and Justin Tucker. Uh, I, I seem to always just want to get him. Maybe I overdraft him. Sometimes I just don't care because uh, I just know what he can produce, and uh, I, I always just like not knowing. Like okay, I'm just going to get him, and then he's going to do whatever. He's going to hit a 50 yarder, and, and it'll be fine. So um, yeah, I usually try to aim after Justin Tucker. And then, yeah, capping off, I, 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 I'm a little bit weird. I like to get two defenses uh, just to see, you know, kind of play around a, a the matchup. So I got a, a Colts defense, and then I got the Steelers defense. Colts, uh, statistically, they've just been better, uh, and they're, they're uh, look to progress or be better this uh, this season. And then the Steelers, uh, you know, they have a playmaker uh, in TJ Watt, and it's kind of hard to go against that. I mean, mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick and some of the players are there, so – went with the Steelers there to wrap it all off. Um, so yeah, that's Pat and I's, uh, that's c- completely wrong English, but uh, Pat and, and my uh, uh, draft picks there. So I uh, would love to hear which ones y'all thought were great, which ones sucked and you have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely share uh, those, those picks uh, in, in some sort of picture around here or whatever, if this is on YouTube. So yeah. Yeah. Any overall draft, takeaways for you like were there any friend picks in your league that were just like catastrophic or were there any players that you didn't get that you wish you had or any players that were overdrafted you're like wow that's just not a guy i would take at that spot or anything like that yeah no that's a good question i mean it's it's it was kind of hard to say like i I think a lot of people in my group uh kind of played it safe a little bit um but I would say uh, in terms of like players that I, I think had good value, I, I saw six round uh, Darren Waller, I think is, is a pretty solid pick um, for that value, you know, for a tight end. Yeah. I think that's good. Uh, Darnell Mooney, who I've, I know I've talked about before. I think he's going to have a lot higher upside in the sixth round as well. Um, you know, I, I think, DK Metcalf fifth, I don't, I don't not necessarily a reach, but I, I think there could have been better value there. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I th- it's hard to say exactly which ones, which picks are not going to do so well. I definitely think Allen Robinson actually here. And I'm looking at it. Allen Robinson, seventh round, you know, uh, Hey, with an offense that actually knows how to use him quarterback that knows how to you know throw the ball and everything. Uh, solid offensive line. I, I think Allen Robinson would definitely have, uh, uh, 
have good is good value in the seventh round for you know uh, PPR leagues. Yeah, yeah, Garrett, you have uh, Cooper Cup and everything like that, but you, you can only pass him so much, right? So I think someone like Allen Robinson can definitely warrant that. And you know they went out of their way to to kind of get him too, so they really accommodated to get Al, uh, Al Robinson. So uh, Allen Robinson, so I. I Definitely think that they see a lot of value as the Rams organization see a lot of value in him. Um, Bateman, he's going to be you know wide receiver one now for Lamar Jackson. You know, hopefully maybe for uh, you know the Ravens' sake that he gets like a thousand yards or maybe nine hundred yards in his first year as a uh, as wide receiver one. You know, I I, I see some upside there. Um, and uh, I'm looking here. Uh, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, it's hard to say. Tenth round isn't so bad, but at the same time, he's going to be missing several of the first game. So, you know, uh, don't really see uh, too much, uh, I guess, after that. So, yeah, I think overall, uh, at least my, my leap kind of played it safe, but you know, nothing too crazy there. So, but yeah, uh, anything with you? Yeah, I just <clears> – <throat> the first two rounds of my draft were like I was so flustered. Um, I got to, you know, I had the fourth pick in the draft. So it's like, I really wanted Austin Eckler. Um, I wasn't going to get JT. I actually didn't want CMC. I, I know analysts are all over CMC and like how amazing he is. And I know he is when he's on the field, but it's, you know, he's, he's, he's missed 23 of his last 33. So it's like, I'm not ready to spend that kind of draft capital on somebody who's that brittle, um, regardless of what his upside is. So, Really wanted Eckler, and then I was just stuck. I think we talked about my debate with Henry Cook and Najee. Felt like I reached probably on paper for Najee, but I was I was ultimately happy with that. And then when it came back, um, all the running backs I was looking for, I was hoping Kamara, there'd be a potential for him sliding a little bit if people were nervous. Um, there was one other back that I had my eye on at that point. I mean, Aaron Jones would have been somebody I would have been happy with. And then right before my pick was Javante Williams and I had Williams for his rookie year and I was kind of frustrated with the Melvin Gordon thing, but I just think his talent alone will be worth that second round pick. So, you know, hats off to all the managers who drafted, but um, some, some other just smaller ones. I thought that, uh, you know, uh, Antonio Gibson going in the sixth round to me, you know, turns out to be kind of a steal at this point. I, I feel like we're going to get into it, but Brian Robinson is backup was kind of the next guy in line. Um, I think that will end up being a value. I heard he's getting involved in the kicking, maybe punt return game, which, you know, could just add extra yardage if you're in that kind of league. And then I think he assumes like a big role in this offense still. So to go in the sixth round after going in the first two last year, I think that'll be a big, uh, you know, value pick for the manager who got him. And then uh, personally, I just wanted AJ Brown. I, I really wanted him and it just didn't work for me. I mean, somebody took him after I took Connor and, uh, it was okay at where the guy took him, but I, I just think AJ Brown's going to have a great year with the Eagles and uh, just wish yeah. I had some of him on my team. So uh, that's it. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's basically, you know, kind of a wrap for this fantasy session. And uh, you know, if I want to go right back to the Gibson point, um, sure. you know, Brian Robinson uh, backup for, you know, uh, the Washington commanders at running back, uh, you know, was, was, was driving in his car and, uh, reportedly had gotten shot multiple times in an attempted robbery um, in his lower half. Uh, a lot of this, you know, <laughs> a lot of this stuff was not life threatening. Um, he, he, you know, wasn't in critical condition. They brought him to the hospital and treated him for his gunshot wounds. But uh, Wayne, I don't know. Did you have any uh, reaction to this or thoughts? Um, 
you know, just from a societal perspective for, you know, Brian Robinson and maybe for his, you know, football stock at this point? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, it's good that he's okay and everything. I, I think it was like two gunshot uh, wounds to the leg. So some on crutches, uh, looks like he's out of the hospital and even brought his, uh, I think it was his running back uh, coach, uh, uh, some Oreos in the, in the entire uh, running back room. So there's like a picture of him, like, I don't like Oreos, you know, their, their stocks can go up probably tomorrow, whatever. Uh, but yeah, like it's, it's a nice, uh, nice thing to see of, you know, some cookies and, and him bringing, bringing those cookies over to the, uh, the running back room. So it was, it was pretty fun to see that. Um, this is the ball and breakfast club, the ball and breakfast uh, podcast. So, it's always nice to integrate food and uh, and sports here. So, and I, I think that was pretty fun from the Oreos standpoint there. Um, but yeah, it really just goes to show. It's like I think he was coming back. Uh, I believe I read this somewhere. He was coming back from like a, um, I think it was like a team dinner or something like that, and then just you know was caught in the wrong place, wrong, wrong, you know, r- wrong timing and everything like that. So uh, it's just unfortunate something like that was happened to him. Uh, you know, rookie year. Uh, you have all this like uh, anticipation for what's co- what's what's to come and everything, uh, and it looks like he's going to miss at least four games. You know, who knows? Maybe more uh, his rookie year. Or so, uh, and yeah, he was definitely fighting for Gibson. I know Gibson. Uh, he, he's definitely a fumble machine. I think is what a lot of people kind of call him. So a lot of people were kind of picking Brian Robinson there and, and seeing if they can get him, uh, and you know, seeing if he he would surpass uh, Gibson in the depth chart there. So. Kind of unfortunate, I guess, from that standpoint. But you know, he's still young. Uh, you know, hopefully, he'll recover, fully recover, and everything like that. Um, you know, I'm not too sure about like gunshot wounds and affecting agility or anything like that from a running back perspective. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's it's just unfortunate. I think that happened like right 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 now, like right before uh, the season's about to kick off and everything. So, but yeah, that's, I think those are my thoughts there. Yeah. I mean, just knowing that he came out of Alabama kind of had it, you know, his future ahead of him and, you know, Bama's produced a lot of thousand yard backs, especially in the last few years. Um, you know, just kind of come came as a huge shock just to kind of see, you know, him being involved in a situation like that. I mean, I feel like athletes are prime targets for these types of, you know, crimes. And, you know, I remember a time when, you know, even if you're looking at Latin American players, you know, having family members kidnapped and, held for ransom and stuff like that. Like it's just a scary, you know, situation to be in if you're, uh, you know, starting to make, you know, good money and you're, you know, however you're representing yourself, whatever neighborhoods you're still, uh, you know, living in or whatever areas of the city you might be, you know, uh, you know, part of at those times is just kind of overall, just extremely uh, disappointing. Uh, very happy that, you know, Brian Robinson was, you know, able to make it through um, a situation like that. Like I, can't even imagine even if it wasn't uh you know in a part of your body where you know could could turn into a critical situation i mean just being shot a couple times just it's just gotta you know definitely you know take the wind out of you and also just like i just imagine be kind of you know scary for an athlete to have to go through that kind of situation and see you know what, what it really takes to get back into game shape and um we'll have to see how long his timetable is for return Hopefully it's speedy. So everybody at the ball and breakfast crew that that includes uh, only Wayne and I, but uh, we, we, we send a shout out to Brian Robinson, and his family, like don't want to see any more of this stuff kind of happen. It's just another incident among many others in this country where it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's getting, it's getting uh, 
you know, really redundant and for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. And how about him? I I, I think I was seeing Twitter talking about this. It was like, uh, you know, two two days after he gets shot, he shows up to the office. And it's like <laughs> everybody's like, man, uh, oh, I have a I have a slight cough. Uh, uh, like I got a fever. <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta take the day off. So but this guy gets shot, <laughs> you know, twice in the leg. It's like, no, uh, I'm not gonna take a sick day. I'm I'm gonna go bring bring some Oreos into the into the office. Uh, that's you know, it, from a white collar worker, like, yeah, that's not a thing you do. <laughs> you get a shot, you know, whatever, doing whatever. We're just gonna we're just gonna sit back and relax a little bit. So, um, dude, if I, if I get shot, I'm asking for another round of paternity leave. <laughs> yeah yeah shot leave whatever <laughs> yeah. good god man it's possible hey it's possible man this country believe yeah, me yeah yeah so um but yeah yeah it's just unfortunate but yeah it seems like he's in good spirits there so yeah. yeah well we're talking about work and you know disappearing for for whatever reason uh what's going on with tom brady man i you know seeing seeing stuff in the news this guy was MIA. I think, uh, you know, the FBI put out a most wanted for this guy. <laughs> I think he was on unsolved mysteries for a, you know, feature episode, but like, wait, yeah. what, what's happening with TV 12? Yeah. Apparently he was gone for like 11 days, I think. Uh, and, uh, like nobody knew where he was. He wasn't at training camp and apparently the, the entire world just fell, fell apart there because Tom Brady wasn't there. Uh, but then he returns and like was, you know, shows up at, at the, at the news conference uh and was just like hey you know uh i'm 45 years old you know whatever i'm, I'm old I, I i got shit <laughs> like i got stuff so you know uh i think my initial reaction on this is like dude like he whatever it is you know whether it's personal whether you know he's uh just uh forgot to cancel his reservation because he got retired and it was like oh i i still need to go on this vacation because they, they, they don't uh they don't do refunds like whatever the case may be like my opinion is Tom Brady out of any, anybody that's ever played football and it's ever existence. Uh, he deserves it. He, he can do, he, he can just show up. Like he literally can just show up, tell everybody what to do and be totally cool with it. Like, you know, he's still going to be, you know, I know we picked the, the bucks to win the super bowl this year. You know, I, I don't, I'm not going to like uh, uh, back down from that. I don't, you know, this is the most committed person possibly out there. You know, he takes care of his body he could have easily retired and just be totally fine with that. You know, seven Super Bowls and everything, all the accolades in the world. Uh, but he chose to come back. So, you know, I don't know if there was some sort of hesitancy or what, but honestly, like, again, if there's anybody that uh, deserves uh, some sort of leeway there, it's Tom Brady. He's earned it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the only quote I saw about this topic was, you know, I'm old, man. Or like, you know, I'm old as shit. And there's something like that. I was just like, <laughs> Yeah, man. Damn right. You're 45. You've got, you know, seven rings. You got a, mo- a supermodel wife that, you know, probably has requests for him as well. I mean, at this point, he hasn't been there for his kids, you know, you know, little league practices or soccer games or, you know, who's bringing the snacks? Who's bringing the Capri Sun? You know, Tom, it's your turn. Sorry, I'm going to be two weeks late to that, you know, OTA crap that you're doing over there in Tampa. So, I totally get it, man. I, I mean, <laughs> sometimes people just need a break. Like, I, and even so, like, I, you know, Aaron Rodgers has has missed all of you know mini camp at some points. I mean, guys have held out for parts of seasons before. So, 
to make an issue of this at all is just kind of it's kind of weird and uh you know he doesn't have to explain himself <laughs> i mean he basically is like he probably doesn't want to make gm decisions but he probably could if he wanted to but he definitely like is now the head coach of that team so like he's he's doing what he wants to do uh it's tb's time you know where we stand on you know super bowl predictions everything like that like i think i think this team's gonna be locked and loaded when it's all said and done and uh he's gonna be the main reason for that yeah yeah live your best life tom live your best life so <laughs> yeah for yeah. sure Another guy who's going to be MIA uh, for the NBA season is Chet Holmgren. Um, You know, I think you probably saw the reports of him going to, you know, going to be out now for the year with a foot injury that he sustained at a pro-am game. I think this brought up two points for me when I first saw this news, uh, you know, flash. I think the first thing that came to mind was I was right. And I, and I don't mean that for like, I was, I just was like, this is the fear that I'd have as a GM if I was going to this year's draft and making decisions based on, you know, personnel, the guys that were on the top of the draft board. Just looking at his body, man, I don't know about you, but like, I had my concerns looking at him. I mean, he almost looks like, you know, Chris stops Porzingis is fasting for Ramadan. I was like, dude, this guy is an absolute skeleton. He's seven two, anyways, under two hundred pounds. I mean, that's that's just not good. So that was point A for me. It was like, like I kind of know this is coming, and I just feel like he's gonna have a long career of like BS like this. Number two, I don't get why um, these guys are doing these pro am games. I look, I get it. It's it's like cool to see LeBron. Uh, play against a bunch of no-namers in like a remote uh, men's league intramural gym. But like fact of the matter is one of those games got canceled to half because there was water on the floor. The other thing is, you know, it's like you guys are making millions of dollars in the most popular league on the planet. What in the hell are you doing? And why is the NBA allowing this to happen? I don't get it. I mean, this is like Fernando Tatis doing wheelies in his motorcycle. Like get these guys off the court. I don't care to see DeJounte Murray, you know, show up, uh, you know, Paulo Bancaro. And, you know, I just don't know, man, is, is the juice really worth the squeeze for these pro-am games? Like is the NBA benefiting from, you know, these guys getting out there and being, you know, very viral or, but it's just like, you know, Chet goes down in this type of game and it's like, okay, okay. See, you don't have your guy. I mean, could have happened on the real court, but. Again, I, I just think it's foolish. What do you think, Wayne? Yeah, I mean, I I, I get that perspective for sure. I, I think it's a mixture of things, you know. Uh, you know, these players, they're the ballers. That's what they do. You know, James Harden, he's always been showing up at pro-ams or, like, working out at, like, random uh, lifetime fitnesses and stuff like that. So uh, part of it, from my understanding, is a lot of players will show up to these pro-ams and, uh, you know, rec leagues or whatever, or, you know, just random gyms partly because they want to uh, to better themselves, actually. So it's kind of like training, like a mini training camp before the training camps, you know, with their team. So they're testing out new moves. They're they're working on the step backs. They're working on, you know, the dribbling and transitions and stuff like that. You know, I, I've been seeing more on, uh, uh, you know, from the LeBron front. Uh, I know he's been uh, kind of like working out like, a, like a, a, a strong side step back. So he's going to his right side a little bit. I think he did that in the Pro-Am in, uh, in Seattle. Um, same 
the same game that <laughs> Holmgren went down uh, with his Liz Frank injury. Uh, but yeah, I think he uh, uh, LeBron is practicing that. I saw him practice that like on Instagram before, and I saw him shoot it in, in the game there in Prem. So I think you know that's like one thing he's going to add to his arsenal. Hopefully, I guess you know for his sake, one more thing to add for the NBA game uh, that, that he has. So that's I think by thinking on that that and marketability too. You know, uh, I'd like to see, you know, how many shoes LeBron sold in the Seattle metropolitan area after this whole event, you know, uh, just for a little simple game where he's also uh, kind of uh, uh, working out some new new moves, you know, which is pretty crazy for somebody that is going to be breaking uh, the all time, you know, scoring uh, 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 record and everything like that. Um, still working on his craft. So if that is the case, but. I mean, yeah, it, it is unfortunate that he got hurt. Uh, I know it's kind of similar of how, like, some NBA players get hurt uh, for, you know, if they're participating in the Olympics or, or, or things like that nature. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I guess for the Olympics, it's like there's some national pride, a lot of other stuff there, you know, c- compared to, like, a program. But and part of it, too, is, like, he hasn't played an NBA game. So this is, like again, like a – uh, way to, for him to kind of get familiar, more familiar with some of the top level talent like LeBron, not necessarily, you know, the, the summer league yet. So, um, so it is a mixture, at least for Chep Holmgren in, in this situation. I think of, you know, play with LeBron, see what that's all about, get, get his legs, uh, uh, stretched out a little bit and, you know, get that NBA feel, you know, with some former NBA talent and some current NBA talent. So, I can't knock him on it. Uh, that being said, like, you know, I guess now it's maybe be a little bit more careful now or we're, we're, we're thicker socks. I don't know what the whole, uh, um, you know, uh, all the training and, and all that does exactly. But yeah, if there's ways to prevent it, you know, I'm sure he'll take more precautionary measures, you know, hopefully now. Uh, Cause yeah, he's, he's done for the year and that's going to suck. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm all good with pro-am games for, you know, like when Mookie Betts wants to bowl or if Steph Curry wants to play golf. I mean, I want to see that stuff. I like those little celebrity outings. I think they're fun. But uh, yeah, man. Um, yeah, I just think it's, uh, yeah, I've stated my piece. I just, uh, you know, I'd hope no more guys get injured. Uh, if courts are in conditions that are subpar, I mean, please, please take these guys off the floor. We don't want to see them get hurt before the real you know, season starts. And, uh, you know, guys, you know, Horse is a fun game, maybe a little knockout. I mean, if you want to do that with, uh, you know, Ray Allen and Catino Mobley, like I'm cool with that. But uh, anyways, uh, I'll leave it there. Uh, I guess speaking of injuries, uh, we can go back to our favorite uh, team in the major leagues uh, of baseball. But uh looks like the White Sox um, are really stumbling. They're, they're really falling out right now. Um, yeah, I think the last time I checked, they were two games under. Um, they're about five back in the central. Uh, looks like the Guardians and uh, Twins have gotten you know a little bit closer uh, in the standings. But uh, Wayne, do you have any do you have any thoughts here uh, just on where the White Sox stand and you know what's going on? Yeah, it's going to take a miracle for them to to win uh, win the division. It's, it sounds like it's more likely than say the wild card. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard for me again to feel optimistic about any of this. Uh, you know, I, I think I love that there was that sign of like, uh, sell the team or whatever. Uh, I think we all saw it and like, uh, I think it was like one of the White Sox batters was like getting drilled or was like dodging, a uh, a, a pitch or whatever. So 
I, I think that that perfectly encapsulates like what's happening. Um, but still, they're only five and a half games away <laughs> in our division. <laughs> I, I think they're down though uh, against right now uh, the Kansas City hmm. Royals. So, uh, but you know, yeah, they're still only down five and a half. Uh, with you know, what was it? Uh, so it's like 128 games have been playing, uh, have, have been played. So that's what 30, uh, 34 games uh, still there. So you know, um, it would take a miracle. It would take a miracle. But yeah, the way that we're playing and the way that where things are at, like yeah, things are just not looking good. Like I don't know if we're gonna hit get a 20 homer uh, player. Like this is ridiculous. So. Uh, I think there, there's going to have to be some changes. There's way too much talent for this team to be uh, not performing as well. So if things are the way they are right now, kind of continue on, like this is just not acceptable, I think, for this squad, this the amount of talent that's on this team, the amount of you know investment on this team. So something's going to have to change. Um, you know, and who's to blame? Like for me, it starts with, you know, Larusa. Uh, it starts, with, then it goes to Frank Manichino. Like, He's been a terrible hitting coach, like wherever he's gone. So, like, I don't know how he's still able to get a job, but whatever he does, or you know, it, it's just not working. It's not resonating. Our hitters are not taking steps forward; they're taking steps back. So he's got to go for sure. Um, you know, and then there has to be some culpability. You know, I, I, I think for us, it's like Rick Hahn has been uh, kind of a, a tertiary compared to those two, but you know, didn't really. Uh, supremely addressed like the the right field uh uh area and then also like second base has been if if he kind of here and there um you know respect to josh harrison and everything but yeah like things just have been kind of uh up in the air with regards to that training staff too injuries uh it always seems like the past several seasons there's always been some sort of injuries happening uh and then like i said this is like one of the more talented teams out there on paper. So like, how, how is it that we're not able to, uh, you know, fully put two things together, get the right amount of vets there, get the right amount of coaching. There seems to be some sort of, uh, whether it's the aura or like, you know, the, the spirit of the team just isn't there. It's just missing that winning attitude. So I'm just thinking like changes are going to have to happen. But like I said, we're only five and a half games out, which is, pretty crazy that's the same amount of games we're, we're closer uh uh than say the rays are to the yankees rays rays are six and a half games out uh to the yankees so you know a lot of crazy things could happen but there's gonna have to be some fun stuff happening uh you know some sweeps and stuff like that but i'm just not optimistic about that yeah i think you know seeing Kopech go on the il they threw grandel on there mancata We've been out with, you know, Robert Jimenez this year at points. Uh, Tim Anderson's out. Uh, it's been bad, man. It's just been this this whole year the Juju has been off. I think that's something that I always try to keep an eye on, too. Like, we talked a lot throughout this year about the Twins and the Guardians. And, you know, we don't always agree, you know, agree on uh, whether or not, you know, those teams are of the same amount of talent as the White Sox. And I think, you know, the one thing they have in their advantage is, They've just had that chemistry going all year. Uh, twins were up, you know, high in the first half, and the Guardians have kind of roared back, but they've been in the mix the entire season. And we're picking the teams apart. We're picking the players apart. But at the end of the day, like, sometimes you just need to have, you know, that confidence and that right mix of guys. And, you know, talent doesn't always win out. So 
that's been that's been number one for me. I think number two, if not one B, is what you're saying. I mean, I think you know, you're looking at the coaching staff. I just look at the at the coaches in that dugout with Larusa being, you know, just really, uh, you know, I guess his prime is is well behind him. Obviously, with with falling asleep and making certain decisions that just don't make a lot of sense. He just just doesn't have his finger on the pulse of the team, but. It's also just the composition of those coaches. It's like so fragmented. I mean, Ethan Katz was like Giolito's uh, high school or college coach. So he comes in, especially for Giolito. You got Miguel Cairo as, you know, Tony's bench coach, which is just like, you know, I don't know if it was like they brought him in for um, just being more of like the Latino influence on the team. that's really heavily Latino, which I think would resonate well with the players, but I don't know what rapport Miguel Cairo has with Tony LaRusso. I think there's a shot that maybe he was a part of the Cardinals teams and maybe they had some, you know, good vibes then, but it, it feels like kind of a reach of a hire at the bench coach position, which I think naturally is like a former manager just to have like another set of eyes that has like actually run a clubhouse. And then like you're saying with Medicino, the offense has been dreadful this year. I mean, and then you brought over a holdover in Joe McEwing who came from the Renteria era where it's kind of like, you know, is there any forces there between those two where it's like, Hey, well, I know what's been going on before you even got here. All of you got here. So maybe there's some arrogance coming out of a Joe McEwing, but it's just, I don't know. Um, last thing, last point I would say is the training staff. I mean, I don't want to pin this on them as, Hey, like all these guys got hurt. So that means that you didn't do your job, but like, you know, and I know we've talked about immaturity from the roster too, but hey, too many guys have gotten hurt this year. Uh, it, they seem like outliers. I mean, Eloy's the only guy. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, since those guys have gotten in the pros, those three, Mancata, Robert, and Jimenez, they've been splitting time on the hill like every single season. So it's like, there's just got to be something there to examine. Like, has that training staff been in place for a while? Like, how have we, you know, ranked in the in the league for injuries versus other clubs based on, you know, their performance? Like maybe maybe that's part of the shakeup too. So, um, you know, when we go into the off season, you know, I think we both expect moves. I'd love to see our club get, you know, a little a little bit more athletic. I'd love to see our club have a little bit more depth. Uh, if we have to sacrifice, uh, you know, a touted young piece like any of the guys that we've just mentioned for multiple pieces uh i'm looking at it if that means you know rebooting uh the high levels of the farm system for you know with a certain amount of you know with with whatever kind of trade i'm interested i just uh yeah it's it's disappointing uh shines a lot of light on our club as an organization i feel like the deadline was underwhelming um you know, I know what limitations we have there, but in the same sense, it's like, yeah, we just got to do better. Um, hopefully this isn't the end of our of our uh, legitimacy um, and, and that we can reboot and turn this thing around next year. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I agree. And, um, yeah, the athletic trainer, Jim Crook, James Crook, entering his second season as the head athletic trainer for the White Sox spent two years as the assistant athletic trainer. So he got promoted internally there. So, um, you know, don't want to call out a guy for his job or anything like that. <laughs> it's like, guy, guy just got promoted a couple of years and now we're all, you know, talking crap about him, but something's got to <laughs> give here. 
I don't know. Got got to do some training courses. I don't know. Some, something's up. So, um, you know, hopefully we can, uh, uh, that, that can just be a better situation. And yeah. And I don't know if it's like the players not getting serious about their training or, you know, stretching a little bit or whatever, you know, I'm not too familiar with that, but that certainly is where, you know, something's got to give, whether it's the communication of the training staff to be like, Hey guys, you need to take this stuff seriously. This is how to do it. And, you know, do your, do, do your, your homework and everything. So something's got to give, uh, but you know, everything though kind of comes down to the overall leadership there in the clubhouse and that's Tony Russo. So he's got to go. You know, I'm not a fan of, I was never a fan of the hire initially and definitely not a, a, a fan still right now. So um, he's definitely first on that list. And, I think that'll just be a good reset. And and then, yeah, maybe, you know, make the assessment then of what to do with the team. If they don't perform, if, you know, uh, if the manager that comes in uh, and it just isn't able to resonate with them, then, yeah, maybe they're, the next thing is to blow it up a little bit and see what pieces you can get uh, so that, you know, some prospects here and there to build up the farm system more and, and kind of go from there. So, um, yeah, I think those are my thoughts right there. Uh, I'd be interested in maybe Joe Girardi. I don't know. Is he still around? Like, I know he got, <laughs> he got canned. By the yeah. Phillies, but... Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, I know he's a um, Chicago guy and everything, but he would be, you know, somebody maybe I would look into, but I don't know. Uh, wasn't too familiar with all the, the moves he made uh, in the Phillies, but I know he was, uh, he was definitely, a, at least what I, from what I saw, a pretty decent manager with the Yankees. So, um, yeah. you know, they, they, they just need somebody that I think that can just be like, Hey, let's, let's have some energy. Let's give her effort there. Let's, let's be professional. Let's take this job seriously. And, you know, yeah. Take care of our bodies too. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Some, there's gotta be a new mix of messaging there, whether it's a guy who just resonates more as like a player coach, uh, or somebody who's just like a, like an authoritarian figure, like a Joe Girardi, um, I, in hindsight, I liked the Larusa hire at first. I, I just considered it as like, all right, would I rather have a guy who's won multiple World Series? And yes, he's very, very old and he's been out of the game for a little bit of time. But like, would I trust him over, you know, random player X from the 90s that I used to watch who's now like the head coach of it? It's like, so I guess like th- that was what I was considering when we hired Larusa is like, I know all the, you know, the baggage he came with with the DUIs and stuff like that too. I was kind of like, I'll look over, I'll, you know, I'll look past some of that stuff, uh, not personally, but like from a when X's and O's winning perspective. And I was just like really underwhelmed with what he's done as a manager. And it's, it's just his energy levels too. I mean, I'm sorry, but when you're like falling asleep in the dugout and you're making like boneheaded decisions that are getting picked apart by like national baseball news, like you're not doing yourself any favors. There's been video after video of like just embarrassing stuff around this guy. And it's just like, man, you just got to find another hobby at this point. Cause this is just, this is going awfully for you. It's like the worst case scenario for him. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, I'm kind of on the Joe Madden train. I, I know maybe that would get critiqued a little bit by for, you know, Cubs fans or, people that I've seen him get canned from his own job, uh, you know, a couple times now. Um, but he just always struck me as a guy who just always knew, uh, you know, how to resonate with players. He, he went through the minor leagues as manager. So he kind of gives me those Brian Snitker vibes. It just kind of like, he just seems like a cool guy. I just feel like people would like to, you know, spend time with him in a locker room, uh, you know, just kind of talking baseball and kind of, you know, being kind of like that father figure that, you know, most of these young guys kind of need. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I think we did. I think we talked about Joe Man, and I know I'm <laughs> looking did. at I'm looking at age. I'm trying not to be ageist. Kind of <laughs> here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, like Matt Madden's gonna be turning. Uh, uh, he's 68 right now. Uh, Joe Girardi's 57, so he's got you know he can he can he can spare a couple years. Uh, although yeah, I definitely felt like he was there forever with the Yankees for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, Joe Girardi's 57, while Madden's 68, so. You know, if I'm going to pick a, an age or be all ages and not, you know, look at Bruce, <laughs> pull off a of Bruce Arians, like, oh, you're too old. And then, you know, he's winning Super Bowls and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I that's where I'm like, you know, I, I, I think Joe Girardi could be a nice contrast, I think, to what's happened with uh, Tony Russa. But um, I think that's just my opinion. So we'll see what happens, I think, with the uh, with the White Sox. Hopefully, like we've always been saying, we'd love to have the White Sox pull like an awesome run and make it to the playoffs, win the World Series, all that. But it's just hard to pull for this team right now. And that lack of energy that we're seeing is just, it, they just underperform supremely. So, yeah, I'm yeah. forever thankful for 2005. Forever. Um, yeah. Just, like, it's just so thankful, man. Like that. Yeah. That's going to be like the 85 bears. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding, dude. That, that was like, I don't know, man, not to be the, you know, reminiscing here or anything, but just to like, I went, you know, going to games that year, the expectations were like, this is a scrappy bunch. Like hopefully they can contend for a playoff berth or something. And just like good vibes all year. It was like, man, this team like really gels well. And man, we got to the playoffs and just like never looked back. It was just like, win after win after win it was just like yeah. done it was like complete game after complete game and you're just like are, are we in like what <laughs> what alternate universe are we living in right now with this team so uh hopefully we can find you know some sort of glory days ahead for for the white Sox. yeah yeah for sure yeah i on that for i guess you know sticking with baseball here you know kind of leading into the close of this season i feel like there's there's two big names in the American League, um, both having amazing seasons for for different reasons. But uh, you know, we talked about the MVP. I think at the midpoint of our season, um, I just want to ask, like, you know, I, I feel like going into this year, we're like getting desensitized to the greatness that is Shohei Otani, but then we're also watching this historic run by Aaron Judge. Do you have like? what do you think like the voting criteria is going to be this year? And like, do you have a favorite um, out of those two or, you know, there might be another AL MVP candidate. I'm just not, you know, thinking about offhand, but like, what do you, what do you ultimately think? I mean, I, I think, and this is like, goes back to like our whole thing of like, is it the best player? Is it the most valuable player, even though it is called the most valuable player award? Uh, or is it like best player on the best team, or is it the player that just ha- is having the most unique or remarkable uh, uh, season yet? So if if it's the case of like most remarkable season, uh, I think part of that has to go with like how many times has been done before. You know, is your team in first place? Like all those factors in. If you want, if you want to encounter or take take into account all those things, uh, you know, winning team. Uh, unbelievable performance, you know, solid numbers and all that, then that's where you kind of, I feel like you, you, you have to lead more on the Aaron Judge route um, with his historic run with the Yankees. The Yankees are in first place. I know they've been struggling, uh, but uh, they're, they're still in first. So, uh, and they're still probably going to be making the playoffs there. So um, 
yeah, I, I, I think that's where if, if we want to figure out the definitions of what who the MVP is and what they actually means, uh, if we're going to go that route of just, you know, a marvelous, all-encompassing season, winning team, et cetera, awesome numbers, Aaron Judge is the person. If we got to go with best player and, like, what they actually mean most to the team, I don't know how you don't go with uh, Shohei and what he's been able to do here. Um, yeah, you know, he's has, has what, 29 homers, OPS, 882, war, 7.1. I think he's, like, the leader on on in that front. So it's like, what more would you want an individual to do, right? It's like, you want to – it's, it's kind of like what uh, uh, like Tom Brady being able to pass the ball and catch the ball at the same time, right? Uh, which I think, you know, his, his wife kind of called out for. So, uh yeah, you know, Giselle is right about that. Then, you know, we maybe we ought to play, play it into the MLB and how we look at players and evaluate them. Because uh, Shohei can literally throw the ball and hit the ball. So, uh, and hit it at a really efficient, highly effective rate. Um, so, yeah, you know, pitching stats, 11 wins here, 2.6 ERA. Uh, 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 has 176 strikeouts compared to 1 in 26 innings pitch. Like, Again, I do not know how you don't look at Shohei and be like, dude, you're like the best overall, most valuable player. You just, you know, with a crappy team. Uh, and that's just unfortunate. I know he won last year, and that's, you know, this whole awards thing. It's like, oh, you know, some player can't just win it multiple times in a row, right? They really just have to have a lot of other things going for him, like, you know, being on a winning team. You know, if he was for a winning team, the Angels were, you know, in first place and everything, uh, right now, would we be saying something different? Um, possibly, right? I think it, he would be winning in a landslide, but he's not. So that's, again, is my whole thing of where I feel like Aaron Judge probably will be getting it. Uh, and then he's also a New York Yankee, so he's got all that flavor there. So, But what do you think? Man, this is such a good debate because I feel like, you know, we look at Otani's numbers, both on the pitching side and the hitting side, and the guy, you know, will probably end up with somewhere around 30 homers, 100 RBIs hitting. He might end up with 15 wins as a pitcher with a sub three ERA. And like you're saying, the strikeout to inning ratio is just unbelievable. Like <laughs> it's unbelievable because you take 30, you take 30 home runs and hundred RBIs from most guys and probably put them in the top 10 of the MVP voting. But, oh yeah, we're going to also add that he's a like starting pit. He's a, your number one starting pitcher. And it's just like, we're so desensitized again to the fact that he's doing this right now. And now it's like known reality. It kind of like reminds me of Russell Westbrook with the triple doubles. Cause it's like, you know, this guy has that many triple doubles like that often, like, and then you get used to it and you're just like, okay. And then LeBron like plays, you know, 20 plus seasons of 37, seven. You're just like, well, yeah, LeBron's all right. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, he's great, but like, you know, so it's kind of like you get in these arguments, but I guess, you know, looking at it, you know, Judge has the superior war when it's all said and done, even with yeah, those yeah. Otani numbers. So like he's got the 7.6 war to a 7.1 for Otani. Like you're saying, the New York Yankees were the talk of baseball in the first half. And uh, I think my ultimate criteria for this is if Judge gets 61 or more home runs, he's the MVP because you know, we're talking about things that transcend the game. We're talking about things that when Otani showed up and he did what he did last year, even with Vladimir Guerrero, like nearing a triple ground, you know, triple crown at his age, it was like, 
the fact that he was doing that in, in over the course of the years, a two-way player was like mind blowing. I think the same thing applies for a judge hitting 61 or more home runs. If, you know, he's passing all his tests, there's no secret, you know, PED test. Da, 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 da. I know, you know, the new Yankee stadium is a short portion, right? That, that, that. But again, he's doing it in the most harsh arena for pro sports, you know, out there, you know, they're, they're, it's debatable if, you know, Fenway lives up to that same kind of, you know, madness. But to be in New York City to do this, like, you know, Roger Maris did it, like the babe did it, um, you know, I'm disregarding the Bonds, McGuire, Sosa stats. I will always do that. A-Rod stuff. Like, I will always disregard what they did. And unfortunately, great, you know, some of them were good talents, but this would be it for me, man. That's the decider. And he's getting close. I think he's at 51 right now. Um, he's got a full month to go after it and get 10 plus like I'm giving it to him. So, uh, that, that's my criteria. Yeah, no. And just for the record. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I, I think Aaron judge, Aaron judge is my pick for MVP. Uh, he is the war leader. So the data is on his side there <laughs> and yeah, the team's first place. So they're winning. So I think it's kind of a slam dunk then of all these combinations of things that are going in his favor um and you know yeah playing for the yankees i know the yankees get a lot of flack for the overhypeness you know uh with the the media kind of just being attached to them and and uh kind of hyping them up but uh what judge has been able to do is warranted it you know war does take into place like uh you know uh the hitter park and stuff stuff like that so if you're clobbering the ball and and uh uh where the if you're playing in Colorado, right, with the Colorado Rockies, then you're they're, they're going to take that into account into war and stuff like that, and you know, kind of how that compares against the averages of people, other players that play in that stadium. So that's always the same thing with the Yankees, the Yankee Stadium, and how they 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 do things over there, uh, at, you know, Fenway Park. So um, and the war definitely tells the story of Aaron Judge is the best player in baseball right now. So. Uh, yeah, shout out to him and his strikeout numbers are are a lot are down now compared to you know when he was hitting 200 uh, uh, or when he got 200 strikeouts uh, you know his rookie year. So uh, love to see that progression and you know uh, I think he's going to have a career year in batting average looks like too. So all around um, would love to see a player like Judge. He's a great guy too. It seems like uh, from everything we've seen. So would love to see him. Uh, you know, break the the sixty one barrier marker for the Yankees. Um, and yeah, I know he was my. They were my pick to uh, to uh, win uh, or go to the playoffs or and win the the division there. So highly anticipate them to make a run uh, with the pitching set that they have right now. Um, although I I do want to take back my Jordan Montgomery pick. Uh, <laughs> that that trade with the uh, Hicks and everything like that. I. Uh, Montgomery's killing it for the for the Cardinals, and then the Cardinals are making a run now. So happy for the Cardinals and and all their players there with uh, uh, Schmidt and Arenado. So, uh, but yeah, Judge I think is my MVP uh, hands down uh, with respect to Otani. So yeah, sounds good. Um, and then just to wrap up this show, uh, Wayne, I know you caught a statement from the Major League Baseball Players Association talking about the fact that minor leaguers may, you know, form a union. It sounds like they, they built a formal campaign to try to you know, move that all in the right direction. What, what did you want to say about that? 
Yeah, no, it's like it, it is it is interesting, right, that, uh, you know, our country oftentimes has different things with regards to unions and, and all this. But like a major league sports union, oh, bring it on. We're totally fine for that. <laughs> like, there's, there yeah. seems to be a lot more positive sentiment towards, you know, uh, professional players getting unionized, but, you know, not teachers or or uh, janitors <laughs> or whatever. So uh, very much uh, happy for. Um, the minor leaguers here looks like there's potential again. Potential. It's not all set in stone yet, but the MLBPA is trying to essentially expand their roster uh, to the minor league players and and uh, grow it. I think it's like about a thousand uh, players right now to uh, five thousand minor leaguers or uh, total players overall. So uh, so it, it looks like they're the MLBA, MLBPA is trying to grow itself. Uh, and the vast majority of the like minor leaders really don't make that much money. Like they have, you know, I think you talked about before about this, about their pay. Uh, and then also they, you know, have to, uh, stay with, uh, uh, you know, some family out there in the middle of nowhere, just to, like, okay, they're, you know, going to stay here for a couple of days or a week or a month or whatever for the season and then eat, feed them kind of like their kids or whatever. <laughs> and these are like grown men. They're just, you know, uh, trying to live out their dreams and stuff. So. Um, that's just where the vast majority of minor league players are. Um, and it looks like they need 30% of the, the minor league players to sign some sort of union authorization cards. Uh, and then that will lead to some sort of election. And so there's an entire process that needs to happen to occur for this. But um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's good for the sport overall. I think, you know, if the players, uh, these minor league players can concentrate less on you know, how much food they, they need to get or housing and stuff like that and having better work conditions overall for themselves. Again, this is like, you know, in contrast to the G League and how they organize things, like you have college players or potentially college players going from uh, from high school, I should say, to the G League directly now because they know how to do it. <laughs> they know how to, you know, this is their developmental league. So that if you're going to invest in people you know if you're in a white collar professional setting if you're not investing in your talent to you know do better uh, giving them resources uh then you're doing a disservice to the game you're doing a disservice to your company and organization and i think that's what major league baseball's uh looking uh, you know why they want to or at least the mlbpa um wants to look into bettering the situations for them so i think it'll be better overall for the players uh, and then so that they can concentrate more on hitting balls, catching balls and pitching balls uh, rather than, you know, uh, uh, you know, how how am I going to be treated? How many get over to the next stadium or can I afford, a, you know, a watch or whatever, like or shoes or proper clothes like that's I, I think it's just going to be better overall for the game itself. And i um, happy for minor leaguers if, if they are able to do that, at least from my perspective. So, yeah. But Pat, I know you love baseball want to hear your thing yeah so one summer uh in college i want to say it was uh 2008 i interned at the king county cougars um they were a single a affiliate at the time of the oakland athletics and uh, i was out in geneva illinois which is about 50 minutes away from chicago so um, i'll just tell a story as an intern i used to drive from the city you know to geneva uh, for all all home games and and even some you know away games, we had responsibilities as interns to be there. Um, we weren't paid um, on game days though. We would be paid thirty two dollars a game um, to work sixteen hour shifts at the ballpark. We'd show up at eight a.m. 
And then we'd stick around all the way through the night, past the game, past the fireworks post game and clean up. And we'd all leave, you know, the facility at, at midnight. Um, we'd have some stretches where we'd have, you know, seven straight games. We even had somewhere we had 10 straight game stretches of homestand. So you're working seven to 10 days straight, you know, making 30 bucks an hour. I was in college. Luckily, I had financial security. I had a good blanket behind me. So, you know, I just had, you know, a summer where I was grinding, you know, my head off, you know, <laughs> selling tickets, doing promotions, you know, darting around the stadium, doing operations, uh, learning how, you know, major league teams are assembled through some of the other opportunities I got with the team. I mean, made some good friends. I had a great time, but you know, a lot of what I learned throughout that process also is the players weren't too far away from the interns. I mean, we, we felt like we were seeing them eye to eye because all of them were staying with host families. They were eating the same garbage that we ate all summer, you know, whether it was just leftover food from concessions or, you know, go into a fast food or whatever else just to grab some, you know, grab something in general. And, uh, you know, it's just no way to live. And especially when, you know, the cameras are on these guys, you know, uh, you know, they're a huge part of the product. I mean, they're the reason why, you know, a lot of these pro athletes are, you know, paid in the millions. And, you know, if, you know, media decide to pop into our offices every once in a while and feature us on, you know, TV or whatever else, social media, then, hey, maybe we'd be able to unionize, you know, better or be paid the big bucks uh, above what we're making. But, uh, you know, not to complain about that at all. But uh, I just say, yeah, I mean, the time is now, um, you know, like like you said, the G League example, I think that's a great way of showing like high school players now have options. And uh, these guys should have options, too. They're they're just as big of athletes. It's it's just as big of an industry. And, uh, you know, I don't want to see guys having to spend like their, you know, nickels and dimes on, on seven 11 food. So, uh, you know, again, like let's get this, uh, established in one way or the other, or, you know, overall just improve, you know, the conditions for these guys and get these guys paid once they, once they get drafted to professional teams. No, I think that's a great point, man. And yeah, I, I, I think that's just great. I, I think it's like, you know, if, if you want a better sport, better, feel about the game overall like you, you got to invest where it's, it all starts uh, at least in the professional setting or professional level and you know if we can get the minor leaguers to to have a better uh overall life you know yeah you know a lot of them aren't going to be uh on the cover of sports illustrator or anything like that uh some of them yeah most of them are not going to be able to make the majors in, in their lifetime so anything to like help them to have a nice start or anything like that again it's like just allocation of resources uh from the top um, from MLB, from the MLB, you know, and working with the MLBPA, I think is best overall for the sport. Um, and yeah, again, like if they're not worrying about as much uh, about their next meal and, and things of that nature, then I think that's going to be great for the game overall, where they can just concentrate on being fed and working on their craft. So, and I think that'll be awesome for everybody, uh, you know, and that want, that loves baseball. So, yeah, for sure. Well, on a lighter note. Now that I started talking about 7-Eleven, um, I was a frequent goer of 7-Eleven, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, actually, I lived uh, only three blocks away from one, and my uncle uh, always had to grab cigarettes, so he would always take us on a walk and uh, give us whatever change he had in his pocket. But I did have some signature items that I would always go to as a kid. I just wanted to give you the floor first if you wanted. You know, were you a 7-Eleven kid? And uh, if so, what were your snacks of choice? Why were you? Why were you going in there? Why was I going in there? Uh, to make a ruckus. I don't know what you're talking about. No. Uh, I, what did I like? I always got like, 
the icy and, and all. I'm a, I'm always I've always been a big icy person. Slurpee uh, or icy? Oh, we, icy. We gotta... Yeah, it's Slurpee, right? Or it's Slurpee. <laughs> okay, yeah, dude. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm right. thinking movie theaters. I think I'm thinking right, movie yeah. theaters I like, there. I was like, man, this is uh, this is going against their brand, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I will get a Slurpee at Seven Eleven. You know, uh, not just on the Seven Eleven days. Uh, although I will do, I will definitely frequent there and have frequented there like the past like ten years for a Slurpee there. So um, definitely gonna get a Slurpee. Uh, I'll, I'll even eat like you know uh, again, kind of like a makeshift meal or meal. I'll I'll, I'll get their hot dog that's on the hot dog machine there too as fresh as it can be <laughs> you know especially if a costco is nearby and i can just walk in there and grab a dollar fifty costco <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll grab the the yeah the hot dog there um and even on doordash like i, I think doordash has 7-eleven so sometimes i'll i'll even like you know uh get like a burrito just from 7-eleven there you know again if i'm feeling cheap and just want to get something real quick there so just a nice bean burrito uh, <laughs> with like a pop or, or you know, some uh, some chips. So, um, yeah. And then I'm always a Sour Patch Kid person. So, you know, the, the, if, if I can get it from 7-Eleven, I'll toss that in there too. Um, again, yeah, I, I have the worst diet when it comes to any of this type of food, <laughs> but I would not change it for the world. So, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I usually always had like a $5 bill and... Back in the day, man, $5 just go a really long way. Uh, but I'd always get the supersized bag of Flamin' Hot Cheetos uh, paired with a large Slurpee, uh, usually a bag of those powdered sugar donuts, like the 2 to $3 bag that's just like, and I would crush it. I mean, I would eat like every, that's probably like 20 donuts plus in that thing, yeah. <laughs> like really unhealthy. And uh, there was one night where I came back with all that stuff, I was playing video games, uh, laid down for one second and just got up and chucked. And it was just like, I, I just, it just had to happen. I mean, I, I really could, couldn't hold in all that garbage, but uh, anyways, <laughs> it didn't stop me from going to Seven Eleven like every other weekend as a kid growing up. So like same yeah. situation, same scenario, get that $5 back. Candy bars used to be 60 cents a pop. You know, you walked through that thing as I got older, started doing more of the entree stuff, like the nachos and everything else. But, uh, Anyways, just wanted to tip my cap to 7-Eleven. Still around, still clicking. Uh, you know, not sure where they're at uh, performance-wise these days, but uh, man, that was an institution as a kid. They're big in Asia. They're big in Asia, actually. <laughs> like, like, you can go to some remote places in Asia, and then there'll be a 7-Eleven there, and you can just, like, sit down and, like, have a good meal and everything. Like, 7-Eleven is, like, a national... It's, it's, it's a pretty decent brand over... Because, like, oh, it's the U.S., it's cool. But yeah, you can get like sushi and stuff like that and 7-Eleven there and it's like pretty decent. Um, so yeah, uh, we need to up our game, America 7-Eleven. We need to up our game, I feel like. Uh, yeah, fight inflation. So yeah, with 7-Eleven. But um, yeah, uh, Twizzers too. I also got Twizzers, the peel. Got the, gotta get You're the peel. You're a Twizzler guy. All yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So Fair um, enough. yeah. So yeah, I think with that, I'm probably going to get go get go on DoorDash and get some uh, 7-Eleven now or walk over. Actually, it's not a couple blocks away. So I'll probably go over there now. Get some Dude, every, time I, every time I order on DoorDash, 
they ask me if I want to add 7-Eleven to my order. And I'm just like, do you just, do you just getting into my mind? Are you just playing games with me now? Like, answer is <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> I like pop up the app and it's like, man, everything else is just like a dollar. It's like, all right. Like, I've never done it on it, to be honest with you. I've never tacked onto the order because I was just like, this is such a scheme, man. Like, they're just going to like <laughs> wire everything through my social media and just start like popping up all these other restaurants and just yeah. tacking stuff onto orders. But, uh, Anyways, uh, and shout out 7-Eleven, man. Uh, I actually have one two blocks away. So, like, if we, I wanted to. We I all have. We all have 7-Eleven <laughs> two blocks away. <laughs> Seriously, what is going on, man? They just, you know where we live. I mean, good good on them. But uh, Good on them. Anyways, man, great episode. Uh, you're looking forward to any any sort of commentary out there for any, you know, listeners. If you, if you want to, you know, share your draft picks with us you know, critique our drafts in any sort of way, or if you got a 7-Eleven item that just, you know, we overlooked, we want to hear about it. So, uh, you know, Wayne, did you have any other thoughts? Uh, I think that's all, man. Yeah, go go get some 7-Eleven. Uh, maybe I'm going to go add in some uh, some Sour Patch Kids on my orders now and uh, looking forward to being fat again. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. That's a wrap. Uh, take care, guys. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right.